welcome to episode 10 of Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five O podcast. I am your vertical and ventilating host, Kristen Hawes, aka Kiki Writes. This episode covers two more eps from the first season, episode 17, The Box, and episode 18, One for the Money. This is a long episode because it's a special episode, and special episodes call for a special guest. Special episodes also call for spoiler warnings because we will be discussing the endings of both of these episodes. Check the description for the timestamp so you'll know when it's safe to listen again. Or you can stop whatever you're doing right now and watch both episodes. Then you won't have to worry about spoilers. Oh, and one more warning. This episode is only lightly edited as I wanted our conversation to play out as naturally as possible. So there is some instances of my internet hiccups causing us to talk over each other. I'm not normally so rude. Also, don't drink every time I say you know or you'll die of alcohol poisoning. Now that you've been warned, let's go to Hawaii and meet our guest. Ain't no big thing, brother, when things ain't looking up. Ain't no big thing when there ain't no coffee to fill the cup. What time's coming? Morning, Mr. Swanson. How about What time's coming? Let them roll. Let them roll. Hey, ain't no big thing, brother. And things ain't looking up. <laughs> ain't no big thing, brother. Ain't no coffee to fill the cup. Let them roll. Yeah, let them roll. What time's coming? Let them roll. Yeah. Ain't no big thing, brother. And things ain't looking up. <laughs> Ain't no big thing, brother. Ain't no coffee to fill the cup. Episode 17, The Box, air date January 29th, 1969, directed by Seymour Robbie. This is the third of four episodes for him. Story by our creator, Leonard Freeman and John D.F. Black. Teleplay by John D.F. Black. This is episode 5 of 10 for him. The inmates at Hawaii State Prison are going out for playtime, each going through a metal detector and being searched to ensure that they play nice. 
However, there's a trio up to no good as they find three guns, one of which looks like it was made in woodshop, left for them in a garbage can. They then proceed to the showers where Big Chicken is singing in the rain while others wait their turn, including an inmate named Charlie Swanson. It turns out that, according to Big Chicken and his trio of now gun-toting cronies, that Swanson has been bucking the system and he's going to have to be punished and taught to respect it. Except Swanson fights back and manages to get a gun from one of them, shooting him in the gut. A guard tries to intervene, but Swanson is cool with taking hostages unless he's released. The two remaining guys who were going for him, Toshi and Tommy, try to talk themselves into being on Swanson's side. Swanson takes the ammo from the remaining guns and gives them to them, telling them to go out and fetch more hostages from the coffee room in the prison infirmary. They do so, and then Swanson takes the guns back and puts them back up against the wall with the rest of the prisoners. Swanson then sends one of the youngest prisoners in the shower room out to let the captain in charge know that he has prisoners and he's going to be killing them unless he's released. Naturally, this is a job for 5-0, and Captain Wade briefs the team on what's going on. The prison is on lockdown, and there's sharpshooters in position. Two of the guards taken hostage have been tied together and placed in the doorway with their backs to the world. McGarrett talks to Swanson via megaphone and tries to negotiate for the injured inmate's release at the very least. Swanson isn't feeling it since the guy wasn't exactly kind to him and tells Steve they've got 15 minutes before he starts killing hostages. Steve, Captain Wade, and the team try to strategize, but only come up with several dead ends. Steve decides that they need to give Swanson another option. Meanwhile, Big Chicken is trying to get on Swanson's good side, looking for his own ticket out, but it doesn't work. Steve gets on the megaphone calling for Swanson, and Swanson takes his time replying, McGarrett's voice driving Big Chicken up the wall. When Swanson finally answers, Steve offers to trade himself for the hostages against the protests of his team, who call it suicide. If Swanson doesn't kill him, there are plenty of guys in there that hate his guts and wouldn't mind doing him in. Swanson agrees to the trade, but on his terms. Steve comes into the shower room, and then he'll release the hostages. Of course, Swanson goes back on his word once Steve is inside. Steve reminds Swanson that there's no way back for murder, and Swanson assures him that he has nothing to lose. Captain Wade talks to the governor, who's very concerned. There's been no word since Steve went into the shower room, and Danny is very stressed. Captain Wade reminds him that they have their own jobs to do, and they have to trust Steve. They get set up with more sharpshooters, walkie-talkies, and tear gas. Inside the shower room, Steve lets Swanson know that if they hear one shot outside, they'll rush the room and tear everyone apart. Big Chicken finally finagles himself on Swanson's side. Swanson gives him the wooden gun and a single bullet to keep McGarrett covered, much to Big Chicken's disappointment. The prison doctor asks to take the injured inmate out, but as Swanson says, he didn't shoot Frank so he'd feel better. Dano talks to the press who demand to know what's going on and how this could have happened. Danny explains what everyone already knows. The prison is a shithole, and they need a new one. Oh, and by the way, Steve McGarrett went into the shower room personally to negotiate the hostage's release, which sets the press to salivating. Big Chicken passes the time by antagonizing Steve, who gives better than he gets. Swanson then uses Steve as a shield so he can ask for Danny and get a look at the yard. While waiting for Danny, Swanson rails on and on about the system to Steve. Steve tells him to change it, which is met with disbelief. Tensions rise when Danny informs Swanson that the gate stays closed and he isn't going anywhere. Big Chicken begs Steve to do something to give him an excuse to shoot him. When Steve tries to reason with Swanson again, he tells Big Chicken to shut him up. Big Chicken does so enthusiastically until Swanson stops him. The prison doctor once again asks to take Frank out and Steve almost has Swanson convinced to do it when Swanson gets careless in front of the shower room door. 
A sharpshooter takes a shot against orders and makes everything worse. Okay, so when I decided to do the box and one for the money together, I knew I was going to have to con someone into talking about these episodes with me. Now, you might know him from the Eventually Super Train podcast. You might know him from Rockin' All Week with You, a Happy Days podcast. You might know him from one of his Minute by Minute podcasts. You might know him as one of the co-hosts of Made for TV Mayhem. You might know him from his book, 80s Action Movies on the Cheap. And if you don't know him, I need you to question what you're doing with your life. The man who needs no introduction, but I gave him one anyway. This is Mr. Dan Budnick. Dan, how are you? I'm doing okay today. I got I got some light sniffles, but that's just because of the weather. So if you hear me sniff, I'll try to mute myself every time I sniffle. So it'll be great. But I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to talk Hawaii Five O. I've been enjoying uh, uh, your podcast, and so I'm. I'm oh, thank I'm ha- you. Ha- happy to be on board. I am happy to have you, because Hawaii is wonderful, and Hawaii Five O is wonderful. So. Exactly, just because I know you, you've never watched the show prior to this, right? No, no. Um, uh, I knew you didn't. I didn't. I mention when, when we did Green Hornet together on Adventure Super Train. I think we mentioned this podcast like a thousand times. Yes, this is your fault. And, and then eventually, event, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And and then eventually one day it happened, and I thought what? And and so I started, and and I thought before I listen, I need to um watch uh, something so i watched the tv movie uh that preceded the show i forget how what the distance was between when the movie aired and it and it um the show began but i watched it and i really enjoyed it and so i bought the first season set on dvd and um i am i have actually watched up to um one for the money because uh, i've been doing it as the episodes have been coming out and um so I, so I'm how many episodes in? Where, where are we? Seventeen, eighteen? How? What, yeah, know. somewhere in there. Okay, so so that's where I am, and I've been, and to, to be honest, I've been really enjoying it. I I, I quite like it. So each, it, 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 it about ten fifteen years ago was when I started watching like cop shows, detective shows of the of the sixties seventies, uh, and I'd never watched them when I was uh, younger. and and into the eighties and such. But it and and every time I discover one, like maybe. Six months ago, I started watching Canon, and I, I'm loving that. I love Canon. Oh, it's so good! And and I, so I picked up the set of that on DVD, so I'm watching that. And and Hawaii Five O, I'm um, I, I yeah, I started it a few months ago, and I'm, I'm really quite enjoying it. Uh, McGarrett is fantastic, and yes. always looks always looks suave, even in a stinky shower room in the Hawaiian presence. So so that, <laughs> that's that's my background with the show, and I'm looking forward to following the show along with you. Um, I'm trying not to jump ahead, uh, so when you put out an episode, I watch those episodes, and then, but it, I might eventually jump ahead. Oh, that's fine. Okay. You're not going to spoil yourself jumping ahead a little bit. <laughs> oh, and yeah, so that's that's my background with uh, with Hawaii Five-0. Well, I'll give you a little spoiler. Throughout the entire series, McGarrett's hair is always fantastic, oh, just so you know. You know, I, I realize that I actually know Hawaii Five-0 more from... Um, I, I collect cracked magazines, and they've done several Hawaii Five-0 spoofs. And so I actually kind of know Hawaii Five-0 more from – I forget what they call the characters, probably Mick, Mick Poopy or something. Like, you know, they always had dumb names for everyone. But but the, yeah. the, the main gag I remember, which never made sense until I started watching the show, was that no one wants McGarrett to say, book him, Dano, because whenever he does, all of a sudden this gigantic wave – 
<laughs> goes through the office or wherever they are, and they all get soaking wet. And so they keep trying to stop him from saying it, but he keeps saying it. And then you see the wave, and then they all end up soaking wet in like a flooded room. I thought it was a pretty good gag. I don't know. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so, so that's me and Hawaii Five. Yeah. So for the record, I am keeping a ta- uh, tally of how often McGarrett says "Bookum Dano," and so far it's only been twice this season. Oh, so, wow. yeah, and it was quite a few episodes in before he said it the first time. So, let's talk a little bit about the box, yes. which is one of my favorite episodes of the entire series, not just season one. Mm-hmm. And I would like to know how you felt about this episode because. It starts off with a, a, a scene in a prison shower that's kind of unnerving. <laughs> it's it yes, um, it's it's it is. I mean, it's it's a guy getting attacked by three other guys in a prison shower. I think today that might have a slightly different um, sort of. Con- you might think slightly differently about it, but all these guys are fully clothed. The only guy who isn't fully clothed is Big Chicken, who we know from... I'm forgetting the episode title. It's a really long... It's uh, a great one. And they put daisies on his... And they painted daisies on his coffin. Yes. That's what um, it is. Uh, and so, yeah, it's Big Chicken, who was the very sweaty, or... I, I, I saw him as being, like, forgive me, moist. I thought yes. he was a very moist villain. He was <laughs> a very damp villain. He yes. really was. And, and it's interesting, because this episode, Whenever you see him in the previous one, he's always like sweaty. And this one, it starts with him showering. So it's like they kept him damp, but in a different way. Yes. And, and so, yeah, you, you see him in the shower and he's he's nude and showering away and singing. And, you know, I, I, the guys get attacked. And um, I'm trying to um, sort of uh, break down. I, I think it's re- it's an excellent sort of hostage drama. I think it does it very well. Um uh, when oh is it Charlie uh, uh, Swanson yes, yes. Um, yes when he takes over it's a nice moment when he sort of takes over because you think like with Big Chicken there nude you know toweling off and putting his clothes on these three guys attacking Charlie you think oh Charlie's gonna get killed or something I I didn't know what was going to happen but then when Charlie sort of takes over and it's you know the, the guy who has the one gun you know is able to control everything in the prison. And it's a really nicely done hostage situation. And McGarrett obviously is called in. And I think I think they keep the suspense mounting nicely. I I will I, I do have the question how come um uh Charlie in the in the shower and I think like the, the warden or something of the of the prison, they can yell back and forth to one another. And forgive me, my dog suddenly decided he begins scratching the floor. How you doing, George? He's a Hawaii Five-O fan. Um, oh, good. But 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 I do like that you you get Charlie whenever they're, they're like on the other side of a courtyard. The police are on the other side of a courtyard from the shower, and uh, whenever Charlie speaks, it's always like, "Okay, McGarrett, I you what are you doing? I want to get out of here in ten minutes." And the warden will do the same thing: put his hands over his mouth and go, "Swanson, we're coming in there." But McGarrett always uses the megaphone. I don't know if that's because he's not he doesn't like to yell. Or what it is, but I do notice that it, he's he's the only one that because Charlie is just like leaning back in the shower, just yelling, and everyone can hear him. But McGarrett has used the megaphone, so that's probably just him being cool, I guess. Yeah, Steve doesn't right. have to lower himself to yell. Yes, yes, and the moment, uh, the mo- yeah, the moment McGarrett goes in there, um, I, I just I just think it's really nicely done. I I love, and we'll talk about this. I, I believe uh, that that's up to you though. The the ending is is really kind of. 
I don't know, uh, poignant is, is probably not quite the word, but um, it's it's um, it's a very nicely done ending, I think, even with, like, Gavin McLeod just, like, lording over everything with his... He's, he's, it's, I guess he's, he's as, he's as camp as you get so far in Hawaii Five O. I think, and if I'm thinking of the episodes, um, he's just really going for it. And this one, he puts on like a bit of an accent occasionally that I don't quite, that I didn't quite hear in the previous episode he was in. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a great tense, uh, hostage drama that, that is like 75% of it is in just one room. Uh, but I, I think it works. Um, there, there, there is the occasional moment, like the um, the the opening uh, has m- maybe one too many establishing shots for we're in Hawaii before they actually get to the prison. I think I get what they're doing. You know, you see like the hotels, you see people surfing, you see people having great times, montage, 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 and eventually you get to the prison. But then you get the sequence when McGarrett is driving to the prison, and that goes on for like a minute, minute and a half. So I'm wondering if they had some trouble with maybe like, ooh, this this is underrunning a bit. Well, people like watching McGarrett drive around Hawaii. Let him go. Let him do it. So he's driving to the, and, um, uh, but 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 apart from those couple of moments where I'm like, is this is this padding? I um, I I really quite like the episode. And there there is something about Gavin McLeod's really, because in the first episode you see him in, he is moist, but he is very calm and collected up until the end. In this one. He seems calm and collected in the beginning, but then the moment, like the hostage situation began, he is he is nuts, and he's really going for it in a way that maybe Captain Stubing never did. So I, I would say I, I I don't know if this is a favorite episode of mine, but I would say I I, I really like this episode. I th- I think I, I think they do a really great job with it. So how about you? Yeah, I love this episode. It's one of I, I mean the first season like is. The first season, the fourth season, and I think the sixth season are like wall-to-wall excellent episodes. And this is definitely one of them in the first season, as far as I'm concerned. I just, it's a great tense episode. We get to revisit with um, Big Chicken, who is just, Gavin McLeod made a, a big impression. Because Big Chicken isn't actually in, and they painted daisies on his coffin no. that much. Like three scenes but, or so. But yeah. he leaves. Yeah, he but he leaves a big impression mm-hmm. on that mm-hmm. episode. Because what do you think of we? When I watch that episode, it's Danny accidentally shoots a kid. There's Captain Stubing being <laughs> a bad guy, and oh my God, Miss Beetle's on drugs. Yes. those are the three things I think about with that episode. <laughs> yes. So to have him back in this episode and to basically give him an opportunity to get revenge on Steve, you really get to see his character come out more and he's a bit of a because when i think of of big chicken he's a bit of a dandy in a sense there's especially with the accent that he ends up affecting Mm -hmm. it's it's, there's something dandyish about him and so when you start off well first we we see you know all of the prisoners coming into the yard for playtime and (laughs) they these the three guys uh go and get their guns and one of them looks like it was made in woodshop it, it's just it does. that single bullet. <laughs> yes, yeah, like with, with like a spring loaded thing. It's it's not quite like a soap gun, but but it's a little more elaborate. It looks like something that we would have gotten as kids out at the Apple and Pork Festival every year. Like it looks like <laughs> one of the popular toys we would have gotten one year. <laughs> but so they go into the shower room, and what's really 
to me, what's really kind of disturbing about this whole shower room scenario is, first of all, the shower appears to just be a broken pipe. It's just this funnel of water. There's only one because there's guys lined up against the wall watching Big Chicken sing and take his his bath, his shower. (laughs) And I'm like, how is that not disturbing when you're trying to, you know, hose off your moistness for cleaner (laughs) moistness? And there are you have an audience waiting Mm. their turn and Mm. like blatantly staring at you. Yeah, and there's only one working shower. Yeah, that's just really kind of creepy. That did confuse a bit. I actually thought briefly of uh, the movie My Bloody Valentine, the original, and like the showers they have in there. But but they they had more showers in there. But then a woman gets impaled on one of the showers in My Bloody Valentine, whereas Big Chicken is just there. There is one moment where like the camera is really low on Gavin McLeod. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. we're gonna see, we're gonna see Walnut Ween, if you know what I mean. We're going right there. <laughs> we're going the full McLeod. <laughs> we're going full McLeod. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do get to see quite a bit of Gavin McLeod in this episode at the beginning because he is taking he's taking a shower and there's quite a bit of torso happening there. Yes, he's yes. he's all he's his and, and he's singing. Yes. Go ahead. I was going to say his character uh, is uh, is it Sidney Greenstreet the the big guy from all like the Philip Marlowe Humphrey Bogart films who's always a kind of he's more greasy I think than moist it, as far as yeah. varying degrees of stuff on your skin Ugh. I just grossed myself out I got to sit back for a minute you talk Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he well with with and also what adds to the that shower scene because it is really kind of unnerving and I think part of it is they were trying to highlight because the core of this episode is basically how shitty this prison is not just in the fact that you know it it houses all of these dangerous criminals and whatnot but it's fallen apart Mm -hmm. and so that you have one working shower in the shower room and it's a broken pipe Mm -hmm. but he so he gavin mcleod is singing and he basically when his goons come in and and start beating on Charlie, he's singing throughout this. Like, he is, like, completely not disturbed. He just takes his time, you know, finishing up his shower, toweling off, mm-hmm. singing the whole time. And I'm, it's just that open, that scene right there, it just, it always sticks in my head of just how subtly disturbing that is. Yes. Um, because Charlie's big issue is with the system in, in the prison, so the system among the prisoners, about who does what and who's on mm-hmm. top in the hierarchy there. And that's basically what sets him off. And you're seeing what you're seeing here is this system in play, in work. You know, Charlie's tried to buck the system. Now he has to be punished. Well, Charlie's had enough. And so he shoots, oh, who? He shoots Frank, I think, is the guy he ends up shooting. Yes, yeah. And he does and, like a res- reservoir dogs thing throughout. He just is on the floor bleeding from a shot in the yeah. stomach. Yeah, and he takes over the prison room, and he's like, you know what? I This has been great, but I'm going to leave. So <laughs> he goes, I need some more hostages. And what's also great, too, is that so he turns the tables, tells, you know, Chicken to put his clothes on and get the heck over by the wall. <laughs> and then the two of the remaining guys who were kicking his ass are like, hey, you want to be our friend? We'll, we'll yeah. help you. Let's yeah. be your friend. <laughs> and it's just kind of like... And again, it illustrates the system of how quickly it turns like, oh, you have the gun. You have the power. We will work for you. 
it's not what, exactly what you expect. You just think, oh, it's going to be this hostage situation, and this guy just wants to get out of prison, and how is Steve going to keep him in prison? But there's layers to the episode that you yeah. kind of don't expect. Yeah, and and it, it is probably the only prison hostage drama I've ever watched where 80% of the people are wearing flip-flops. Uh, yes. That doesn't happen a lot. No, you know, I, you know, I, that, that, that's pretty amazing, you know, and just watching like the entire episode, like every time they do a long shot of all the guys against the back wall, there's Gavin McLeod in flip flops. Yeah. And, and I was hoping he would be like, oh, I love this show so much. Give me my flops. Mm. And he go in there and he, I'm going to put it today. I'm putting on this accent. And they're like, Gavin, we don't know what you're doing. He says, just go with it. That's big chicken. Yeah. And the, there is a the thing with chicken uh, too, with, and as Frank gets shot. And you, it's sort of you think like Big Chicken is in charge, but then later on, um, Charlie says that Frank is actually more in charge than Big Chicken was, because he says he says something like, uh, "Well, Frank's the one who controls all the whatever and that kind of thing," and and Chicken never quite. I think it's the drugs. Yeah, yeah, and um, which which I didn't um, which I yeah I really thought it was a uh, uh, chicken in charge but I don't know maybe it was Frank maybe that's why he shot no well he shot he shot who he shot in the in the moment of getting the gun um, and uh, let's see oh I, I actually have the episode playing here right now and chicken is holding that wood shop gun which I think we made one of those in Boy Scouts I don't know that they fired but I think we made one just for fun and we'd like shoot Patrick Palvino in the behind when he was not looking. <laughs> Uh, just with like pellets, you know, not not bullets. We weren't you not know, actual we weren't... bullets. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Let's see. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I got to say, I really like when McGarrett goes into the hostage situation. He's he's so cool, and well, well, like you you can't not be cool when Gavin McLeod is going full on crazy. Oh yeah. The, the dichotomy there is really highlighted. And I do like how they, they built up to Steve going into that shower room saying, yeah. you know, because Charlie gets all of the the hostages he can, including the doctor who is like, you know, I've got to get Frank to a hospital. He's bleeding yeah. to death. And Charlie's basically like, well, that's a shame, ain't it? But <laughs> <laughs> so they're running out of time because he wants to leave. And it's like. I think Steve does point out at some point, you know, how stupid is this? Where are you going to go? You live on an island and a small island at that. Yes, yes. You're going to leave and go where and do what? Mm -hmm. You know, I never understood that. Like, it makes more sense. Like, here, I live in the middle of a cornfield. There are plenty of places you can go. You can leave the state. You drive like two hours and you're in another state. Mm -hmm. But you're in Oahu. You're you're not going to get very far. Yeah, it's like it doesn't make any sense, but they'll track you when you're in the stolen car and you're getting on the ferry going to one of the other islands or something like that. They're gonna they're gonna keep tabs on you. I, I one of the yeah. things I one of the things I love about Hawaii Five O is um how sort of no nonsense kind of um oh pardon me uh how sorry my dog was just licking my leg um how no nonsense everyone is <laughs> obviously you see that with McGarrett but it's great too like when the doctor is brought in. Um, and you know, a, uh, Charlie is holding the gun on the on, on the doctor, and and this guy just walks in and he says, and he points at Frank and says, "May I help him?" And, and Charlie waves the gun towards, and so he goes to help him. And then when um, I don't I don't know if this is a spoiler, but something happens to Charlie a little later, um, and the doctor has to have a look at him, and the doctor gives his quick diagnosis, and Charlie's like, "Are you done?" 
are, are you through, Doc? And the doctor's like, hey, whatever, man. I'm just, I'm just the doctor. You're some jerk in a prison shower with Gavin McLeod. Which to some would be a dream come true. True. But, yes. But uh, probably more in his Captain Steubing years. Yes. Than in the big chicken years. Yeah. I, I, I do wonder if there's like, there's like a point where, um, like, uh, when Jill Whelan, uh, t- uh, joined Love Boat. And maybe um, folks were like, oh, watch some of Gavin's other stuff. You know, you're, you're meant to be his daughter. So watch some of his previous material. Oh, I don't think we've seen this one. Uh, Hawaii Five-0, The Box. Oh, interesting. Let's watch this. And then she sat there with her jaw on the floor <laughs> as her TV dad is nude <laughs> and showering up in a prison shower. And it's like, yeah. what? Well, yeah. And if you go back a little further, he was on an episode of Big Valley where he played a not very nice character so yeah have she probably didn't go past the murray slaughter years i would think probably <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah you don't want to scar the child for life yeah it's like don't don't go no stay in the <laughs> 70s yeah don't uh, but anyway yeah um though i do oh i want to say something though because you said about this the what you thought kind of felt like filler all the establishing shots mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, first of all, if you recall, the director of our episode is Seymour Robbie. Do you remember him? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. He from he Green, did a Hornet. Lot of Green Hornet. Yeah. 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 And you kind of said that all oh, these shots are kind of like filler. For me, it was more like establishing the fact that look at the beauty of Hawaii and all of these people free and having fun. And here is this prison that's basically in the middle of a neighborhood. Yes. Because they do give a lot of establishing, like aerial establishing shots of the mm-hmm. prison. So when we're in the shower room and when we're at the guard tower where they're yelling and when we're in some of the other areas of the prison, they're not just like random sets. You actually kind of have a feel of where everything is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, li- I, ca- I liked that. That mm-hmm. first of all, you see a prison in the middle of the neighborhood, which is. It's like going to Chicago. I don't know if you've ever been to Midway Airport, but Midway Airport is basically in the middle of a neighborhood. So you're just driving along, and it's like houses, convenience stores, airport, and houses. (laughs) It's literally in the middle of the neighborhood. This prison is the same way. It's literally in the middle of a neighborhood. So you're like driving along, and there's barbed wire. (laughs) I I think the, the, the Van Nuys Airport near where we are. Is, is sort of like that too. You're just driving along and you, you know, hey, there's a Denny's, there's a gas station, there's an airport, there's a Del Taco, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I did like that, that okay. it gave you, it gave you a feel of where everything was. Okay. I think. And also the, the thing, because when we spoil it later, one of the guy's complaints is that he can see his girlfriend's yes. house yes. from the prison yard. Because that's where that prison is. It's so close to everybody else. It's so close to freedom, basically. Yeah. It's not removed, like, around here. Like, Dwight Prison, for example, is in the middle of a cornfield. Mm. You know? So you, you when, if you go out the yard there, I'm sure you look out, there's nothing but mm. corn, which is pretty, actually, common around here. You don't have to be in prison just to see <laughs> corn. <laughs> it's where we live. But I mean, it's the same thing. It's like you're remind you're when you're out in the yard, you're constantly reminded of where you're not. Yes. Yeah. I. 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 I um. It's well, the first time because I watched this like three times uh, to talk to you about this, and the first time, um, 
though the, the it, it's not like they they didn't bother me uh it was just like maybe somewhere in the second or the third time i was like okay i think i get what they're doing in the beginning but boy mcgarrett takes a long time to get to the prison where we know he's going and there's uh and and so there, there were a few moments where i just thought like it's it's i think you you could call it possibly filler but you could also just call it like local color and filling in sort of the space you know just like, like the scene with dano and the reporters you know, like, we don't yeah. need that scene, but I think it's a good scene to have in there. And I love that the reporters do that thing. Come on, give us something. And what's <laughs> what's going on? Where, where's McGarrett? Oh, he's in the shower. What? And then they all stand up. And I, I was expecting, like, airplane. They were yes. all going to run into a telephone booths, and the telephone yes. booths were going to fall over. But that doesn't happen. They no, it doesn't. But it has, it has that energy. Yes. That scene does. The guys, the guys immediately leap up and do that. Um, but it's, it's the thing is whether or not it's filler. I mean, you know, like half the movies I watch are probably, you know, 25, 40% filler or more, uh, you know, so, so I don't, I don't particularly mind filler. I was just, I was just wondering as I watched it, I thought because the, the hostage stuff is so tense. Um, and I, I, I just had the thought in the back of my head, I wonder if it came up a little short. And they were yeah. like, mm, maybe, maybe a little bit more of this, but no, no. When you say that about the 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 um, the uh, prison being in the middle of a neighborhood, that actually works perfectly because we think of Hawaii, we think of p- paradise. Yeah. Uh, and and we don't think of these sweaty, flip flopped um, men in a shower that is unpleasant and just they're they're these desperate people. You think of everyone just. You know, having like like you think of like Puerto Vallarta or something like that. You think it's everyone's having a good time, but when you wander out of the tourist area, things can get a little gamey. Yeah, and you and you see that people actually live here. Like not everything yeah. is shiny like, for the tourists. There's like still... Vegas, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, people live here. They work here, and mm-hmm. that's the one thing I do like about the show is that they do show a lot of that like mm-hmm. they show the touristy shots but then they also show actual you know this is hawaii shots mm-hmm. and first of all that's kind of still a bit of a novelty uh back at this point because hawaii was still oh gosh it's only been a state for like 10 years yes. when this show started yeah. and there's only been a couple of shows on that were in hawaii prior to this so it was still quite a bit of a novelty to show the the islands but hawaii Five-O did it in such a way that they're like you know here look here are actual like markets where people yes. you know go buy their food and here is you know the alleys you don't want to go down and here's hotel street which is kind of corrupt and mm-hmm. you know they showed it all and yeah, i really I, like that i um because i i the, the first thing i think of although it wasn't shot in hawaii was hawaiian eye and mm-hmm. i I always think like Hawaiian Ice and Bourbon Street Beat came out at the same time, and I think Hawaiian Ice succeeded for and was on for four years, uh, whereas Bourbon Street Beat was only on for one because Hawaii was so fresh in everyone's mind. And even though it was clearly the Warner Brothers backlot, which you know I can drive to in ten minutes from where I am, uh, you know people were still like, yeah, Hawaii, whereas Bourbon Street Beat, which is is a better show in my opinion, um, kind of bombed. And which is a I, shame. Yeah, that's too bad. It's too bad. Not bad. Not bad, McGarrett. How much you pay for your ties, huh? Here 
I spent more for my shoelaces than you spent on a lousy suit of yours. Sure. I'm a cop. You're a dope pusher. Before long, you're going to be a dead cop in the garrison. You like zinging me, chicken? I like killing you better in the garret. Come on. Come on. Just take a little step. Oh, no. No, no. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it on your own. I'm not going to help you. We have Steve in the shower, so we have Big Chicken going full ham, really. <laughs> yes. On Steve, he is looking for every opportunity. At one point, he goads him because finally Swanson gives him a, a gun to keep on Steve. And he is literally trying to goad Steve into doing something so he can shoot him. Mm-hmm. And and Steve's like, no. <laughs> You're yeah. on your own. Just shoot me, dude. Come on. <laughs> yeah, but, he, yeah, and, it's... It, and he makes sure to point out that, you know, he does it a couple times that if a gun goes off in this room, everybody dies. Yes. Because they're going to come barreling in and nobody's going to live. Yeah. So keep that in mind before you shoot the gun. And, and chicken kind of doesn't care. Chicken is so focused on revenge that he's like, I'll risk yes. it. Yeah. I'm fine. Yeah. Cause I think in the, in the previous episode he's in, he says something like, um, I, it's not quite this, but it's like, you know, I've been in, uh, I've been in prison like three times, and if I go back, I'm never getting out. Or he says something like that, um, which, I mean, I applaud them for bringing his character back. You did, you didn't see stuff like this normally Mm-mm. in shows of the time. I mean, apart from the Beverly Hillbillies, um, but uh, yeah, you didn't really see. So seeing Big Chicken again, I, I'm wondering like how many folks watching at the time would have been like. Oh, Gavin McCloud, dear Gavin McCloud's back on. Oh my gosh, is he is he playing Big Chicken, honey? Oh, of course. Is he nude? Hell yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. Where where Ratings could you go? Ratings grabber. <laughs> where could you go from his previous uh, thing with his like his uh, in his black um, sweaters with like the um, did he have a cross or something like a nice yeah. necklace and and he was like yeah I'm hip. No, you're not. You're Gavin McCloud. Yeah. You know you. <laughs> You would, you would never hit. I, I always I always think of um. There's an SCTV episode with Joe Flaherty, plays Gavin McCloud, and and it's like a um. It's a network stars program that SCTV is doing, and it's like it's Merlin Olson, Linda Lavin, Lauren Green, Jamie Farr, and Joe Flaherty. Uh, Joe, Fla- Joe, I'm sorry, Joe Flaherty playing um, uh, 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 Gavin McLeod. And obviously you, you can guess who might, you know, Merlin Olsen is John Candy and Andrea Martin is doing Linda Lavin. And and the great thing about Gavin McLeod's character in that is he just spends the whole time just wandering through going, I'm so happy to be here. I can't <laughs> believe I'm here. Everyone's being so nice to me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's just this. And that's, I don't quite imagine that Gavin McLeod is like that. But um, that's what I always think of. Well, you know, he's probably a pleasant person, I would think. I think so. I would think so, yeah. He has that vibe, I think. Mm -hmm. Even when he's being big chicken, there's something still pleasant about him. (laughs) Even when he's losing his mind and stealing Steve's tie and, you know, goading him into getting shot, he's still – there's something pleasant. He's polite about it, I think, is what it is. And there's something about this sort of – the difference uh, between all these guys, like, who are waiting to take a shower – in their flip flops, alongside the McGarrett looking pristine. Even when he, even when, even when Big Chicken pulls his tie off, he's yeah. still like the collar like snaps back into place, and it's like I look better now than I did with the tie. Yeah. All right, I only wear the tie because that's part of the uniform. All right, yeah. 
Now I'm casual. Now I'm done as casual, McGarrett, and I look yeah. good. And that that is a good it's a good thing uh, to point out is that yeah he is he still looks very put together he does not look moist he does not look damp it no. has to be hot as hell and humid I in that imagine. shower room and yet he still manages to look kempt everyone yes. else a little wilted he's kempt <laughs> yes exactly exactly and there there I I do like the fact that they they keep referring to you know the box there that which what the prison is and and there's there's a great bit where um. Uh, the 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 shower um, building is is like one big you know it's wall all the way around except for a small doorway, and uh, um, Swanson has two guards sort of stand in the doorway, kind of like creating a false door that kind of completely boxes it in, which I like. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of a metaphorical door, but I'm 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 all for it. I like it. I do too. I think that was smart because it keeps the sharpshooters out to a certain extent because they don't want to risk hitting their fellow guards. Mm-hmm. But, and you mentioned the box. I think I counted it. They said they referred to the box like seven or eight times. And what's interesting is that they're talking about the prison as a whole, but that shower room is a box. Yes. And so it's again, layers, box, yeah. so many layers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what's interesting too is, okay, so we have Steve on the inside trying to get on Charlie's good side Mm-hmm. And trying to reason with him and saying, you know, you're not going to be able to go anywhere. What do you really want? Charlie keeps railing about the system. And on the outside, we have the warden who I can't remember. I think I just kept calling him Captain Warden. And that's not his name. I think it's Captain Wade. <laughs> um, uh, yes, Captain Wade. I got it here. Yeah. 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 So we have him and we have uh, Kono and Danny and Chin Ho all brainstorming, trying to figure out how to resolve this situation and and so they're talking about stuff like yeah we've got sharpshooters they're connected by uh walkie talkies and we've got tear gas and there's all this stuff like they're gonna go full-on army if they have to go in there and it's it's kind of interesting so you have steve you know being the diplomat on the inside and we have all of this force on the outside so it's it does play with that tension of can we get Steve to talk this guy down or is it going to be a bloodbath? And then, of course, poor Danny has to go and talk to the damn press. Yes. Because the governor is concerned. Well, I'll tell him to come down here and, and <laughs> do my job. But yeah. so Danny goes and talks to the press, which kind of sets up for something that happens later, which we'll talk about. But it, the, I love that this press conference, that <laughs> the crux of it is – because they're like, well, how do these people get guns into the prison? And basically, he's like, well, we all know this prison's shit. That's Danny's quote. The prison is shit. What do you want? <laughs> yes. And you and, get you get you get the first beep on the network. Yeah. Tell this is Hawaii State Prison, not Leavenworth. This place is like a sieve. It's like a box with an open lid. Almost anything can get in from the outside. The governor, the legislature, the Department of Corrections have been screaming about this institution for the last twenty years. That's right, everybody's screaming. Everybody agrees we need a new prison, but nothing happens. What's the hang-up, Mr. Williams? The hang-up is geography, pure and simple, where to put it. A political football? Yes. We've got seven lives on the line. They kill any of those hostages yet? No. One was supposed to go ten minutes ago. That's what the inmates threatened. What's stopping? McGarrett. Where's McGarrett now? He's in the shower room with the inmates. And then, of course, when the newspaper reporters find out that Steve's in the, the room, well, hell, they just go all out. Because 
um, we saw it with, in King of the Hill, too, is that the press kind of have a love-hate relationship with McGarrett mm-hmm. in that they love his theatrics, they love his heroics because it, it sells papers, but they're also like super critical of some of his methods. Mm-hmm. And we'll keep seeing that throughout the series. But so it, it's kind of interesting that so we have this hostage situation and that you can kind of sense that the newspapers are like, okay, well, we need to sell some papers, so you need to give us something. But as soon as they latch on to that McGarrett angle, they're like, yes. yes. Yeah, the, um, yeah, I, 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 I am, um, constantly enjoying McGarrett in this series as it goes along. I don't know why I was resistant to watching Hawaii Five O in the past, but he's Jack Lord is so good. Um and he's like like even yeah like the fact that he's able to hold his own against crazy big chicken by doing the exact opposite thing. The big chick like big chicken is going full on hamburger and and and, and McGarrett is just backing a, he's he's calming. He's becoming calmer and quieter sort of the crazier big chicken get and the um the sort of the economy between the two of them really is is fun to watch especially when you know their previous episode together so yeah yeah, i i truly think that jack lord didn't get the credit he deserved for Mm -hmm. for the role of steve mcgarrett because i think most people when they think about the show aside from it's basically a catchphrase book them dano um they think of him being very very serious and and sort of stiff and, you know, throughout the whole series. And he's not. There's actually quite a bit of, of nuance to the character. And yes. um, I think Jack Lord plays it really, really well, especially like in episodes like this where he's counterbalancing Big Chicken, you know, <laughs> goading him into being like, no, I am immovable. I am a mountain. You cannot it, provoke me. Yes. I mean, you, you can, if, if you're trying to imagine, um, imagine like maybe I, I not quite, but say like Victor Buono, maybe oh. if you can't quite imagine Gavin McLeod, imagine Victor Buono at his most camp, maybe as a um, Mr. Schubert and like man from Atlantis or something like that. Sort of imagine that. And that's kind of a variation of where Gavin McLeod is, is in, but Victor Buono's in there all the time, which is part of the joy of, yes. of Mr. B. Um, whereas as Gavin McLeod, you don't quite expect, I mean, like, yeah, I didn't expect that when, when he's showering and singing, I'm like, what? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I thought I can't, I, 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 I almost felt like I was like, like a kid and I put on Cinemax late at night. My parents were out and, and, and suddenly there's like an Emmanuel film or, or something like that. And I started to watch it. And then all of a sudden, like I heard someone at the door and I was like, change the channel. Oh my gosh. That's almost what I felt like. I, the moment Gavin McLeod was singing and soaping himself up and showering, I was looking around the room going, okay, is it just me in here? What's going on? Mm. It, it gives you a sense of unease. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which, um, and then, which is perfect, I, I think. And there's so many twists and turns and this and that's in the episode. I just, yeah, I, 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 I would bet possibly when I get to the end of all the seasons, which is going to be some time, yes. that this might be this might be one of my faves. Yeah, it really is a it really is a standout. Oh, and good news, Victor Buono will be in the series. I think uh, uh, season three or season five. It's later on in the series. Nice. nice. But I, I we will gl- have I a Victor Buono moment. Yeah. I, I'll so gladly you, join you for that. Yeah, that would be great. It's I, I adore Victor Bono. I'm so happy. Most of my faves actually somehow avoided 
being on Hawaii Five O, but Victor mm. Bono did show up, and and it pleases me, and it's a great episode yeah. too. Oh, good, good. Okay, so one thing before we move on to spoilers, because we've already talked about how this episode connects back to, and they painted daisies on his coffin because of Big Chicken, but later in this season there is an episode mm. called Six Kilos, which apparently is supposed to have taken place before this episode because one of our our bad guys in that episode is Swanson, and it is played by the same actor. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure. Now, his first name is different in that episode, but okay. it's it's the same actor, same last name, and he's a, I think he's still a thief because they talk about him mm-hmm. being a thief in this episode. Yeah. And they talk about him at the, you know, he was at the trial, when he was at the trial, do you think he'll back down? No. You know, and he kind mm-hmm. of definitely has that vibe in that, um, that six kilos episode. So it's just interesting that it, it's, it, they ended up showing it after huh. they showed the box. I'm not sure where it falls in like production schedule or anything. If this was mm-hmm. a conscience choice or they, we're doing it and they went, oh, hey, why don't we just, you know, tweak this a little bit and we'll just have this be Swanson's origin story. Okay. Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure about that, but it's just, it's an interesting connection between yeah. those episodes. So we will see, slight spoiler alert, we will see Swanson again <laughs> okay. uh, as a free man when he's committing crimes. That's also a great episode because Steve gets mm-hmm. to go undercover and he wears a lot of magnificent aloha shirts with ascots just <laughs> amazing oh one of oh, my favorite a... episodes just for the fashion wow and that's another seymour robbie one i'm, I'm looking at it here wow okay. yeah and we're not done with nt they and they painted daisies on his coffin too because that actually comes up again in the third season wow. we have another connection to it it's it's not a big chicken connection it's a little bit less uh, um tangible because we don't see any familiar mm-hmm. faces but there is a connection okay. so that didn't actually happen very much back in in the 60s 70s with the dramas there weren't a whole lot of this Hawaii Five-O did it quite a bit That's cool. for yeah. the time mm-hmm. so all right shall we move on to the ending yes let's do the ending yeah okay so this is your official spoiler alert if you do not want to know how this episode ends then you're going to want to you know, stop here and I'll timestamp it so you know when to jump ahead to the next to the next safe bit. Okay, so what happens is is that um first of all, Swanson ends up um uh getting shot because he kind of forgets himself and one of the sharpshooters takes advantage and hits him in the side and of course the doctor checks him out like Dan said and he's just like, Are you done? Because, you know, <laughs> He's at the end of his rope, I think. And the doctor's like, I'm a prison doctor. I could give two shits. So <laughs> it's at that point. <laughs> it's at that point that um, Steve really gets to the heart of Swanson's complaints, which is really with the prison itself. And so he comes up with the plan to talk them all, to talk Swanson down. And that's by getting to have him list his demands about this prison and they will print it in the newspaper on the front page. And it is so good because you don't know how this situation is going to resolve itself, but you don't expect that. Yes. So instead of his demands being, I want to be free, it's no, I want this place to be better. Mm -hmm. 
And so it, you, you're going through it, and suddenly it's actually a prison reform episode, and you didn't yes. expect that. Yeah, it's it sneaks up on you. I think all all of um all of Big Chicken's uh, histrionics, I think, kind of uh, drew t- drew attention away from the fact that um yeah, when McGarry actually says, "Well, you're not gonna, they're not gonna open the gate for you." What do you want? And then he's like, McGarrick, do you have a notepad? Why, yes, I do. And he just starts taking all the notes down. And then, and then the pay- newspaper comes out, and it's um, <coughs> pardon me, it's I, 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 th- I think my sort of one of my favorite moments in the episode is um, they um, uh, Swanson is fading fast because of the 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 wound in his side, and they they throw in the newspaper. And McGarrett holds up the mm-hmm. newspaper with the with the headline, and and Swanson has basically said, you know, I, f- I forget if he actually says it, but but it's it's more or less like if you get this in the paper, you know, I'll stop this. And so so McGarrett shows him the newspaper, and S- Swanson looks at him and hands McGarrett the gun, and it's all over. And it's it's really kind yeah. of a moment that yeah. I I didn't expect that. I re- I didn't know if it was gonna. The place was going to fill with tear gas. It was all going to go crazy. But there's something about, like you said, it suddenly becomes a prison reform thing. It was like, whoa, hey, where'd that come from? And then it it ends very rationally, I think, for for a prison hostage drama. Yeah, it, you don't expect it. You don't. You, I mean, you know, McGarrett's going to get out of it. Whatever happens, McGarrett's yes. getting out alive. We know this. But it's like, how do we resolve this? And the fact that he just comes up with this idea of, like, list your demands, put them in the paper. The public won't be able to ignore it because, mm-hmm. you know, and the whole time Chicken is fighting against this. He would rather yeah. see the, the system that's in prison stay in place because he stays in power. Whereas, you know, because he, he's telling him, you know, a, you know, we can't make a difference. Prisoners can't make a difference. And, and Steve's like, don't listen to him. He's a lifer. You have a chance to get out of here. Yes. But, you know, you have to do – you have to, you know, give up. You have to, you know, list your demands. And the demands are interesting because it's stuff like, you know, you can't have the the people that work in the, the sick ward housed next to the people that work in your – in the food area or the yes. – you know, because – there's cross contamination and you know, there's they the hobby shop burnt down, they never built it again. What are we supposed to do with our time? And mm-hmm. you know, it's all like, you know, very reasonable demands of like, you know, yes, hey, we're in prison, but mm-hmm. you know, don't you think that, you know, if you want us to stay out of prison when we get out, don't you think you should like do some rehab stuff here, you know? Yes. Yeah. So it it, it does. It, it comes to a conclusion that's satisfying. It's a very satisfying conclusion, especially mm-hmm. when you have Steve walking out with Swanson, you know, and Swanson, you know, he goes saying something about why did you become a thief? And he's like, it was in my nature or something like that. Yes. They have, yeah, a, yeah. They have a nice moment when they leave. Um, but you don't ex- I mean, you don't expect it to come to this logical conclusion of, well, if we let people know that, you know, this this is how it is and this is what we want. Then yeah, maybe we can actually get something to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you, do, you don't expect uh, like it to be sort of compromise where they're able to balance it off. You you don't expect that just because I mean we're in the shower and we're desperate and and every everyone seems to be bleeding um, badly and and it's just a, <laughs> it's just a lovely moment of wow that's that's um that was well thought out and and like you said like Swanson's you know it's not like and I want a giant throne. That I sit on, and I want uh, caviar for every meal. No, the the actual th- he's he's actually like looked at the prison and gone, okay, 
this needs to be improved upon, this needs to be done, this needs to be... And so he's actually, like, for being a desperate guy with a gun in the shower bleeding to death, he actually, he's got some good points about, about what will fix the prison, which which is kind of surprising, and like you said, works that, that final, more or less shot where they're, like, the overhead shot of the courtyard, where they're leading him away and getting him to the doctor and going to get him help, and I think Daniel's joining up with McGarrett and it kind of ends, is, is really, like, that that works. It works. I, yeah. I I was I was surprised by the ending, but satisfied by it. So yeah, it's a very yeah. hopeful ending. Yes, you spent you spent all this time with these people in this this shower room, and you've seen the their ugliest sides because you know Charlie does not give a damn that Frank's bleeding to death on the floor. Yes, and Chicken or just Frank. wants yeah. yeah, and Chicken just wants to you know get at McGarrett, and then you have. All the two other guys, one of them I know is named Toshi because it's Al Harrington. We'll see Al Harrington again because he's going to play Ben from seasons four to season six. He's going to be part of McGarrett's team um, oh. later. So, yeah, and he'll he'll be in, in a couple more episodes, I think, prior to that. I think he usually plays bad guys, and then he becomes a member of the team. So, But, yeah, but then you see those two guys who are so easy to switch their alliances, chicken even, just to, you know, appeal to whoever has the power – and then by the time that you leave, you have this sense of, well, yeah, the system's going to be reformed. So, I mean, it's it's a surprisingly positive ending to what's yes. a really gritty, tense episode. Yeah, yeah, and and it's it's yeah, it's just a question of like we said, it's like, it's like McGarrett just trying to work over sort of the 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 kind of noise of of Big Chicken. And the situation itself, and just trying to get to to Charlie, like what is it you want? And and it's it's I don't know. Refreshing might not be the word. They are in a shower, you know, and you want to be refreshed <laughs> in the shower room. But I don't know if refreshing is quite the word. But there is something about it where he has actual proper um, things to not complain about, but things to hope that get fixed. And um, I hope they do. I imagine we don't return to this prison anytime soon but i hope they do fix it well they well they pointed out that it would take years to do yes. and but yeah. charlie's willing to invest in that time mm. so i don't remember i don't remember if we go back to the prison anytime soon so not anytime soon or anytime during the series i can't remember but okay. um yeah the, i mean you're i totally agree that there's there's that sense there Let's take a brief break to take a look at this guest cast. Obviously, Gavin McLeod is back once again as Big Chicken, and Toshi is played by Al Harrington. We'll actually see him in four more episodes before he joins the cast as part of McGarrett's team playing Ben Kakua. Charlie Swanson was played by Gerald S. O'Loughlin. We'll see him in two more episodes, including one again as Swanson. Dan and I have actually already seen him uh, in an episode of The Green Hornet, but he's probably best known as... Lieutenant Ed Riker on The Rookies, and Captain E.G. Boyd on Automan. He was also Joe Kaplan on Our House. He turned up in TV shows like ER, Murder, She Wrote, T.J. Hooker, Simon & Simon, Quincy, MASH, Trapper John M.D., Charlie's Angels, Ironside, and Gunsmoke. He was also in the movies In Cold Blood, Ice Station, Zebra, Riot, and Francis. And he appeared in the TV movies A Matter of Life and Death, Pleasure Palace, which doesn't sound like it should be on TV, Detour to Terror, Crash, and Perry Mason, The Case of the Notorious Nun, which also sounds like it should have been on Skinamax. 
Captain Wade was played by R.G. Armstrong. We'll see him in one more episode. He was Captain McAllister on The Cat with Robert Loggia, except the is the initials of the character, so it's actually T-H-E Cat. I'm not sure I'm totally on board with this attempt at cleverness. He was also Louis Vendretti on the Friday the 13th series. He turned up in television shows like Walker, Texas Ranger, L.A. Law, Quantum Leap, Matlock, Werewolf, which I have and still haven't watched, Trapper John M.D., Ellery Queen, Macmillan and Wife, Cannon, Gunsmoke, The Invaders, Bonanza, The Rifleman, Rawhide, Laramie, Perry Mason, Surfside 6, The Twilight Zone, and Andy Griffith. He was in the movies El Dorado, White Lightning, The Car, Heaven Can Wait, Children of the Corn, The Beast Within, Dick Tracy, and Warlock Armageddon. And he appeared in the TV movies Devil Dog, The Hound of Hell, The Legend of the Golden Gun, The Last Ride of the Dalton Gang, and The Shadow Riders with Sam Elliott and Tom Selleck. Tommy was played by Robert Doyle, probably best known as Police Lieutenant Osgood on Langdon's Rabbi, which was a short-lived series with Art Carney. He also turned up in Gunsmoke, Stony Burke with Jack Lord, The Outer Limits, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, 12 O'Clock High, The Fugitives, Bonanza, The FBI, Cannon, Marcus Welby, MD, Barnaby Jones, The Blue Knight, Streets of San Francisco, and Little House on the Prairie. He was also in the movie Alligator with Robert Forster, and in the TV movies The Secret Nightcaller, What's a Nice Girl Like You, and The Forgotten Man. Sherman was played by Eddie Sherman. This is the fourth of five episodes for him. Wes was played by Wes Young. He was also in the movie Scream in the Streets. Dave was played by Dave Donnelly. This is the second of four episodes for him. Bert was played by Bert Dar. He was also in an episode of I Dream of Jeannie. Frank was played by Dan Legant. This is the second of three episodes for him. The other episode we saw him in was um, The Ways of Love, and he was also shot in the gut, but he didn't make it in that last one. Glenn was played by Clarence Garcia. We'll see him in seven more episodes. He was also in the movie Acapulco Gold. Gus was played by Nephi Hanneman. We'll see him in ten more episodes. He was also Nephi on One West Waikiki, and he was in the McLeod episode The Castaway Cowboy. He also showed up in the TV movie The Paradise Connection. Dr. Pratchett was played by John Henry Russell. We'll see him in one more episode. He was Charles on a hosted horror show called Shock Theater with Margaret McGuire as Vampira. He also apparently had an uncredited role in Tora Tora Tora. Jim was played by Kalani Kinemaka. We'll see him in three more episodes. He also turned up on Fantasy Island. Our sharpshooter was Wayne West. We'll see him in one more episode. He also turned up in an episode of Mannix and in the movie The Dark Side of Tomorrow. Ed was played by John Farias. We'll see him in three more episodes. He was also in the movie Faded Memories. And the prison guard was Ted Nobriga. We'll see him in three more episodes. He also showed up in an episode of I Dream of Jeannie and in the movie Hawaii. Yeah, it's a really excellent, it's a really well done uh, episode, I think. It's it's a, it's nice to see, obviously, all the, all the sort of variety in the show because what we'll talk about next is so very different from this so so very different to put it mildly <laughs> if i don't get him to a hospital he'll die i didn't shoot him so he'd feel better doc poetry one for the money two for the show three to make ready and four to go might even make it a hundred or so pretty bad poetry yeah Episode 18, One for the Money, air date February 5th, 1969, directed by Paul Stanley, not the guy from Kiss. 
This will be the first of 19 episodes for him. Story by Robert Stamler. This is the first of two for him. And teleplay by Palmer Thompson. This is the first of three for him. A woman opens the door and greets an unseen man, telling him to make himself a drink while she finishes getting ready. Unfortunately, this date is killer because the man stabs the woman and leaves behind a calling card, the number one. At 5-0 headquarters, Steve receives a curious piece of mail, an anonymous envelope covered with bad poetry and containing the picture of the murdered girl with her face X'd out. A quick call to HPD Homicide confirms that the girl was found murdered that morning. Steve has Chin take the envelope and picture to forensics before he and Danny join the homicide detective at the scene. The victim, Amy Cross, was born on the island, worked at Hawaiian Amalgamated, and was apparently single. Steve finds a framed group picture and realizes that the picture he received was a blow-up taken from it. He has Danny take the photograph and run down the photographer in an attempt to identify the group. Meanwhile, a woman arrives home, pulls into her garage, and as she starts to get out of the car, becomes victim number two. Kono informs Steve that the picture was indeed a blow-up and a homemade job at that. Forensics got nothing from the envelope, though. The lab thinks whoever sent it used rubber gloves. The typewriter used is an old portable and does have a couple of distinct letters. Steve asks for the lab to get a sample typeface to identify the make of it. Dano says that the photographer does remember the group in the picture. It's a company luau for the home office of Hawaiian Amalgamated. However, the company can't add much about their victim. Steve then receives an envelope containing the X'd out picture of victim number two. Steve, Dano, and the lieutenant go to victim number two's house and find her dead in the garage with the calling card. At Hawaiian Amalgamated, Steve first talks to personnel director Charlie about Amy Cross and the second victim, Ruth Warden. He asks for all of the personnel files. Executive Vice President Arnold comes in and scolds Charlie because only Aunt Martha can make that kind of decision. It seems that Charlie and Arnold are the benefactors of nepotism. Their cousins and Aunt Martha runs the store. Charlie and Arnold take Steve to see Aunt Martha. He asks for the personnel files and to see all of their typewriters to compare them to the type on the envelopes. Someone seems to be targeting their employees and it could be one of their own. Aunt Martha grants Steve's request and he and Arnold leave to get started. Aunt Martha starts to ask Charlie something but then tells him that she'll ask him later at her house and he has no choice but to be there. While Steve and team plot to keep 70 people safe, Charlie shows up to Aunt Martha's house as he's told. There, Aunt Martha asks if he recognized the type on the envelopes, which he does. It came from an old portable that she bought Arnold for his 21st birthday. He got socks and pajamas and handkerchiefs for his. Charlie knows it because Arnold still uses it to type memos to Charlie, and also, Charlie was the one who typed up those envelopes. Aunt Martha doesn't want to believe it, but it's true. You see, Charlie is tired of Aunt Martha's domineering ways, and he'd like her gone and his inheritance now, please and thank you. He then stabs Aunt Martha to death and stages the scene to look like it happened later and that Aunt Martha was victim number four. Wait, four? Yes, because Charlie is going to be victim number three. He goes back to his place, consults an anatomy book to increase his chances of survival, and stabs himself in the gut. He then hides the knife in a lamp before he stumbles to the phone and calls for help. Steve arrives first, asking him who did it. All Charlie says is that he heard a familiar voice and then passes out. Once the ambulance takes him away, Steve instructs Danny to have Che go over everything in the apartment, pictures from all angles. At the hospital, Steve is told that Charlie will survive. He tries to call Aunt Martha to let her know about her nephew, but when he gets no answer, he goes to the house and finds her dead. Back at the hospital, Steve informs Charlie of his aunt's demise and again questions him about what happened. Charlie says he went to bed early, was awoken by someone knocking on the door, and when he answered it, he was blinded by a light in his face. Someone said his name, and then he was stabbed. 
He pushed the person out the door, shut the door, and then called for help. Arnold shows up with a recording that Aunt Martha wanted played in the event of her death. In it, she tells them that she loves them, though Charlie just a little bit more, and leaves Arnold control of the company and Charlie an income from a trust. While Steve is convinced that the photos of Charlie's apartment hold the answer, if only they could find it, Charlie goes over to Arnold's house. Because the only way this is going to work out for him is if he finishes framing Arnold and Arnold commits suicide out of guilt. One for the Money is the episode that I picked when I did my blog post about Hawaii Five-0, all of the, my favorite episodes. This is the episode that I picked as my favorite from season one. Granted, a lot of that has to do with Jeanette Nolan, but my biases aside, um, I want to know, Dan, what did you think of this episode? I uh, I really enjoyed this episode. I I will say that um, I and and I'm, I I I will will spoil it in the end, but I, I won't spoil it now. But I I do I do think I do like the second half a bit more. First half a bit more than the second half. Um, um, when it's sort of um, in the first half, it's it's well, I don't know how much of a mystery it is because I, I I think you can spot pretty clearly who is doing the killing from the moment the person comes on screen. Um, uh, but I think the the first half, when it's still kind of a mystery, trying to figure out what's going on, is a little more intriguing than the second half, where it sort of becomes like a proto Columbo. Although I think the Columbo play had been on already, but it sort of becomes like setting up murders and then McGarrett and Dano trying to figure out. Um, the the sort of flaws in the setup kind of thing, but I do think it, it it moves nicely. It's got some really odd moments, and um, Farley Granger has a great mustache, which I couldn't. I had a tough time ignoring whenever he's on the screen. I think I think it's a, I think it's a overall it's like a, it's like a good sort of sort of psychopath, um, murder mystery, killer kind of thing that uh, that the guys sort of follow on down and save the day on. And um, so I, I I quite liked it. Like I said, though, I, I think um, I think I prefer the first half to the second half. But I, I think it's um, I think it's a, I think it's a very good episode. I haven't seen this is as far as I've got in the first season. So I don't um, so I don't I don't know if this will be a, uh, one of my absolute favorites of the season, but it might be. It definitely might be. Yeah, it's it's good. It's good for the for the two twists that we get. You know, first there's that twist of who the killer is, and the second is the twist of that killer's issues. Yes. Which is basically the nice way to put it for right now before we get into the discussion. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is it is interesting because it's one of those episodes again because we ha- we had them previously where you think you know what this is. Mm-hmm. And then it twists, so now you think you know what this is, and then it turns again, and you're like, okay. So it's it's kind of a roller coaster ride of a of an episode because mm-hmm. you think you know, but you don't. And I think that's what I like so much about it is is that it is so uh, twisty with mm-hmm. it, but also that we end up spending kind of a a lot of time with our killer mm-hmm. and analyzing that killer's relationship with aunt martha Mm. and we get to we get to know more i mean they're not just like uh cut out victims i mean they're not character sketches Mm -hmm. we we are introduced to aunt martha as being one thing and then it's revealed later that she's um a little she's a little bit different than that and it shocks kind of everybody yeah that she has the soft side 
And so it's kind of interesting how much character depth that these characters actually got in the episode on top of it being a bit of a roller coaster ride and kind of, uh, especially at the end, kind of really unnerving. Yes. Yeah, it gets, um, yeah, it definitely goes to a couple of weird spots in the final scene when our our killer is um, trying to do one last thing. And um, his uh, his psyche is is getting in the way of him trying to do that, and yes. and, and it, it's it's one of those sort of things too where when you see Aunt Martha, you just think, oh Aunt Martha, if you've been a little less, and I don't mean to be rude to Aunt Martha because I don't know know exactly what do, do they say exactly what the business is they do? It's just like amalgamated industries. Yeah, it's it's Hawaiian amalgamated industries, which is basically the most generic thing you could call it, and it's like don't ask us what we do, we don't know. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the feel you get. You just get that it's a big company, and it has a lot of money, and people do things, but don't interrogate oh. that because we really didn't think that part out. <laughs> yes, no, it doesn't really matter. And, yeah, and, and Martha is very good at what she does run in the business, but you have those moments where it's like, oh, I wish you'd been a little sweeter to the your, your nephews there because um, – well, I'm not going to go any further with that sentence, but um, maybe. I don't know. That's Aunt Martha, though, you know. I do I do like when when, when McGarrett meets um, – I wrote down Charlie and Farley because I forgot what Farley Granger's character's name was. Arnold. Arnold. It's oh, Arnold. yes. Ar- I got that right here. So, Charlie and Farley. <laughs> when McGarrett meets Charlie and Arnold and, uh, and McGarrett is trying to sort of suss out, okay, you know, what do I – who are these slightly – weird guys and what do I need to do to sort of uh, get get what I need from them and there's just a moment where they start talking about Aunt Martha well Aunt Martha will have to be told yes this is one of the prices of nepotism Mr. McGarrett yeah Aunt Martha Aunt Martha and then there's just the pause and it cuts to Jack Lord and he, he goes who's Aunt Martha <laughs> which is which is a great moment like what the hell are you guys talking about um and like I, I, I do like when he meets Aunt Martha, and like Aunt Martha is one of those characters who, everything McGarrett asks her for, she she either like no no um the, you know we changed all the typewriters don't worry about it well I'd like to see them anyways and then she gets a look on her face like really I just told you that we changed all the typewriters you're telling me that McGarrett's like hey lady just let me see the flipping typewriters come on <laughs> yeah he's not he's not accustomed she's not accustomed to coming up against someone who is also the boss yes, she's exactly. used to being the boss and i i like the um i do like the um uh the sort of um it's it's almost uh uh the sort of the way the murder mystery is before sort of the second half when we learn who is doing the killing and then it kind of shifts a bit um but that that sort of first half with the um the sort of unpleasant killings and like like the way like the second woman her like body is sprawled on the ground in her garage and and the number cards that are put on them it almost has like a, a, a proto a giallo feel to it a bit like the guy with these gloves on and breaking in the house oh it's you how we you know and or just 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 the way it's done has kind of like a what's going on feeling to it and then when you figure out what the killer was up to you go ah i get it i get it uh, yeah, we'll... there's there's very much a horror film feel to a mm-hmm. lot of the scenes in this episode. I think that's part of the reason why I like it so much. Mm-hmm. The killing scenes definitely 
Yeah, yeah, and there's yeah the the and, and say unlike the the box which had all those I I, I forgot the the box begins with those those establishing shots which we discussed of Hawaii <laughs> and then you gradually get to the prison. This one I think the first shot is like of a of a doorbell. Yeah, and, and so it like immediately puts you right there, and you know it's like okay we you know we're in Hawaii so let's just get started. We got a lot of stuff to cover. We got a lot of ground yeah. to cover here. It, there's a lot going on. Yeah, we need to start from the beginning, and we also we have the point of view. Of the killer yes. mm-hmm. for a couple of the, the well, for the stabbings, definitely. But because mm-hmm. you can see him kind of in shadow and then but they also do a point of view, his point of view, which they've used before in the series up to this point, didn't get used a lot back then on television. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nice to they put you in the killer's shoes when he's doing the actual crime. Yes. So I, it, it, again, another horror film feel to it you know being being the killer when he's doing the stabbing it also uh you know is a way to put you in there viscerally without having to show a lot of gore because they didn't show a lot of blood back then and the blood that they did show is bright red like brighter than any red fingernail polish i own (laughs) and it's it's really really egregious and i love it because it's because there's a there is a scene where there's like there's a blood it, it plays in mm. to the episode that there's that blood trail on yes. the carpet. Yeah. Now, for those who are not science minded, blood doesn't stay red once it's outside of the body. It eventually, because of uh, oxidation and whatnot, it, it, in separation and serums and this that and the other, it turns brown. Mm. But mm. throughout this. <laughs> Episode. Yes. It is bright red on the carpet where it should have been brown. Yes. Yeah. But you know, you need that visual. Mm-hmm. We 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 spent some money on this this fake blood that looks like someone put food dye in conditioner. So we yes. need we need to use it. Yes. Yeah. It probably stained the hell out of that carpet. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I. Um, there there is a um, one of the things I I do love sort of overall about the show is sort of. Like the um the the professionals like the cops and the doctors and everything they're so like like the the prison doctor in the previous one where he's taken hostage and his first thought is may I check out Frank on the floor bleeding, and the, the, the no nonsense way when the third victim is still alive on the floor and McGarrett calls in the ambulance and the the like the 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 um, EMTs or whoever show up with with the doctor and just the way there's like a long shot sort of on the ground and there's like a table it, it it's like the guy is collapsed in between the table and his couch and the moment the um the the the, the ambulance guys show up it's like they immediately like throw the uh, table out of the way and McGarrett clears the phone and it's just, it's just like they immediately get up and it's no nonsense and that's kind of one of the things I noticed like with this episode and the last one is that the less no nonsense you are the more you might be a bad guy someone like chicken chicken's just preening and just being camp and so he is kind of worse than charlie who's no nonsense about what he's doing and this one kind of has the same sort of thing which uh, obviously we'll spoil in a bit where the character who's kind of not quite a flippity gibbet but um a little uh, not 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 in martha you know who's just so focused on the business turns out to be the the bad person in the end now i don't know if that's a theme or just something i just thought up right now but that does pop up in these two episodes where the um the goofier you are um the more it's likely that you're not as you're a bad person i don't know 
That is an interesting observation. I never really thought about it that way, that the more you're focused and logical, the more of a good guy you are. Mm-hmm. And then the more where you play more on your emotions and less logic, the more of a bad guy you are. I never thought about that. It's a good point. I, I, I will keep watching the episodes and see if I just made that up for these two. Well, I've watched each of them about three times for this. So I got a lot of notes and I, <laughs> I, I watched a lot. So. <laughs> And meanwhile, I've, I've watched, well, I've watched all of these episodes repeatedly, but for this episode, I watched each of them twice, and I was, like, scribbling notes on this episode last night before we recorded, because I'm like, I didn't write anything down. <laughs> I should probably do that instead of doing it from memory. So, well, let's let's start spoiling this a little bit, because it's not really a spoiler when we find out who the killer is, because like you said, you can kind of tell if you watch the episode, you kind of get the feeling. So, we, we first see the, the first victim gets killed in her apartment the poor bird cage bird in his cage gets knocked on the floor i felt so bad for that little birdie he didn't need that distress in his life and we get to steve's uh steve's office where he's talking to danny and he receives an anonymous Mm -hmm. bad poem (laughs) i mean yeah danny points out (laughs) it was one for the money two for the show um, three to get ready, four to go. I might even make it a hundred or more or something like that. It's mm. just god awful. Yes. And but it's type it's type written on a typewriter, and they open up this envelope and there's a there's our victim with the with her face xed out, mm-hmm. and they try to figure out what it is. So they call HPD, and uh, the lieutenant there is like, uh, yeah, how'd you know about this? Now McGarrett's mm-hmm. psychic crap, and <laughs> they show up at his. At the at the the crime scene, and what's funny too is, they ask they watch the body being taken out, and he asked the lieutenant if she was assaulted, and he goes, "No, just murdered." And Steve's yeah. like, "Just," yeah. and it's just like, <laughs> "Okay, are we really ranking horrors here? Because yes. wouldn't it kind of be worse if she was assaulted and then murdered?" Yeah, I would think. I yeah. mean, that's like. Here, have something horribly traumatic happen to you and then get stabbed. Yes. Yeah. I feel like that ranks higher. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. I mean, the outcome is still the same, but that's just my personal feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I do remember that moment. He's, ah, she just got murdered. Oh, good. All right. Let's oh, thank that. God. Yeah, just, good. just. <laughs> so, but in then in the apartment, we find he finds that picture. And he yes. recognizes this group picture that this is the picture that was sent to him. It was blown up. And I'm like, okay, you are super detective because I couldn't like look at that picture and go, oh, yeah, I recognize that. I probably wouldn't mm-hmm. see the damn picture. Yeah. I, I would have been focusing on other things. But this is Steve McGarrett. So, yes. And yes. so there's this, this whole thing about figuring out where she works and asking them questions. And then we get the second victim who it's kind of great because – in this, the, that, the way that killing plays out because she pulls into the garage and he's waiting for her in the mm-hmm. garage. She doesn't see him. And he shuts the garage door behind her and she like opens the door like, I don't have an automatic garage door <laughs> open. What is this? And then she sees him and he stabs her. And again, you don't see that. Mm-hmm. You get the impression of, well, she what, hangs onto the steering wheel and yeah. slowly lets go. And I, I kind of like that that we know something awful is happening to her, but we only see like the puzzle piece of it. Yes. Yeah. And she leaves the blinker on. She like, when she falls out of the car, she hits the blinker and now she's making a left turn for eternity. Yes. 
will never so, end. Yeah. Yeah, and he leaves the calling cards and he sends another note to to Steve about it, and they so they find her and then and they go to Hawaiian Amalgamated and talk to Charlie. They talk to the personnel director, which is Charlie, who you just you kind of know just from looking at him that you're involved. Because mm. there's just something about you that screams, I am underhanded and devious. <laughs> and I don't know if that's because he's a personnel director, so just in general, <laughs> or if it's just the, his nature, the way he just comes off of it. Because and it's a... great, too, because he wants, because obviously Steve is thinking, okay, it could be someone from the company, but the people that work at this company are being targeted. So he goes to the personnel personnel director to get the personnel records, and here comes Arnold, the executive vice president, mm-hmm. who then scolds Charlie for doing his damn job. Yeah. Says, this is this is up to Aunt Martha, and it's like, really? <laughs> yeah. Great. And a, yeah, yeah, Charlie. I think doesn't Charlie make a bad joke in there too? Yes, he does because he goes, and all he says is like, it doesn't seem like some. It seems like someone doesn't like the people that work for us very much. And Arnold's like, that's a terrible thing to say. And he's like, well, it just slipped out. And I'm just like, and it's kind of accurate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he, I think he has at least one other moment like that where he just sort of says something offhandedly with a little bit of glee that he possibly shouldn't say. It's more tactful if he hadn't said it, especially being in charge of the personnel. Yeah. Well, maybe he's excited because he's like, I get to hire new people. Oh. I get to do things. That's my favorite part of my – you know that, Arnold. You know yeah. Charlie and Farley having a good time. Charlie and Farley, yes. And Arnold and his mustache. You're right. His mustache should have gotten its own credit. It is <laughs> it is magnificent, and it, it steals every scene he's in. The, the I, moment, the moment it, he stepped in the room, I was like, oh, it's Farley Granger, and he brought a mustache. <laughs> what? The mustache brought him. Yes. <laughs> Looking good, Farley. Oh, it's lovely. So – when we meet Aunt Martha, I love Aunt Martha because okay, so it's Jeanette Nolan. Mm-hmm. I love her. She has a history of she and her husband both. Her husband was John McIntyre. He was on Wagon Train and he was on The Virginian. And they both, both have um, a ta- a tendency in their careers to play older than what they are. Mm-hmm. So so here's Jeanette Nolan. She was probably in her late fifties when she did this this role, playing someone who I think is supposed to be like I don't know the 1970s or 1960s version of like 70. She's like, she's got a cane. She's wearing a shawl. Her hair's up in a bun. You know, she's got some old makeup on her to age her a little bit. She's got the old voice going. So I'm not exactly sure how old she's supposed to be, but she's supposed to be elderly. Mm -hmm. And you meet her and she immediately comes up against Steve. Like he's a brick wall and she's a brick wall. And, One more thing, I'd like to see your typewriters. Typewriters? To compare this typing. I can save you that trouble. Good. How? This is obviously an old typewriter. Vintage? We replaced every typewriter in this place six months ago. Large face type. I still want to see them. Now, how about my other requests? Arnold. Yes, Aunt Martha. You will cooperate with Mr. McGarrett's people. Goodbye, Mr. McGarrett. Yeah. What's great about that scene 
is that of course she relents and she's like, yes, Arnold, go and help Mr. McGarrett do things. Mm-hmm. And she starts to ask Charlie a question. She's like, no, I'll ask you at my house tonight at nine. And he's like, but I have a date. And he, she's like, I don't care. Yeah. Do my bidding. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's your job. And so when we get to the house, she asks about the typewriter, the, the envelope, because it looks like the the type from Arnold's old portable. And he mm-hmm. and the way it's revealed, Charlie, because she asked Charlie, do you recognize it? And he's like, well, yeah, it's from Arnold's portable. He still types memos to me on it. Uh, every day she, or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, every day. And you got it for him for his 21st birthday. And for my nice. 21st birthday, I got socks and handkerchiefs. You know, <laughs> you, you, you get that bitterness. Yeah. Right there. Mm-hmm. And, she's, and she flat out calls him on it and says, you would have broken a typewriter in mm-hmm. like a month, even at 21, because you're like, guess, perpetually eight years old. Mm-hmm. And then when that's, that reveals, like, are you sure it's from Arnold's? And she, and he's like, yes, I'm the one that typed it. Yeah. That's a great that's a great moment because she's like in the, the foreground and he's sitting in a chair in the background. She says, yeah, yeah, I typed it. And it's just like the slow realization on it. Martha's face is he... he uh, yeah. Well, well, I guess we spoiled it there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You kind of have to spoil that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think, too, um, the reveal of the killer is like uh, 25 or so minutes into the 51-minute episode. So I don't know that that's, um, that's yeah. spoiling it a bit. But it, 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 this is the point it is, where it, it shifts. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, because you kind of need that to go to the – you have to know that to go to the next parts for the next part to make sense Mm -hmm. because it's nice too, because first aunt Martha doesn't want to believe that he did it, Mm -hmm. which considering their uh, kind of cool relationship, you would think that she would be like, well, of course you're a murderer, but Mm -hmm. instead she just, she doesn't want to believe that her nephew would do such a thing. Mm -hmm. They get into it and and Charlie comes clean and and says, I'm doing this because of you, because Mm -hmm. you never let me be a man. You know, you're always telling me what to do and I can't live off what you pay me. And he's like, but I can live off of, you know, half of what you're going to leave me and I'll be rid of you. And you realize that this is twofold. Mm -hmm. This 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 whole crime spree is that he's going to get rid of the aunt that he that he loathes and thinks that she loves him and he's going to get the money he wants. Mm -hmm. And so he stabs her and kills her. And I'm sad because I'm sure he got blood all over that beautiful shawl she was wearing. I loved it. It yes. was so pretty and sparkly. Yeah, and and it, she it, falls down in the most awkward position. She does. Lay the car. It's, it's, it's even more awkward than the lady in the garage. And I thought she yeah. died awkwardly. Yeah. And Martha's yeah. got like her arm is twisted behind her back. And she's like, I don't know. She's, I, I, I imagine them just saying to the actress, like, you can pick your death pose. Oh, can I do this? And they're like, yeah, do that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you want. But you have to lay there for hours. Yeah, you have to lay so. there for And I, I do like there. There is a moment. I'm sure, I'm sure you knew knew exactly what was happening here. But so, yeah, um, Charlie, uh, you know, Charlie's been killing these other people to make it look like a string of psychopathic killers uh, stuff with the numbers and everything. And, um, oh, yeah, there she is on the floor. Okay. But, but there's a moment where um, after they find Charlie, who's apparently number three, having been killed, but Ed, we'll talk about that in a moment, what happened there. Um, and the first thing that Garrett does is call Aunt Martha to say, hey, your your nephew was stabbed and almost killed, and you see her body on the floor. And then they do it really nicely because you you intercut with McGarrett on the phone and Martha's body on the floor, and you hear the phone ringing. 
and then it cuts from McGarrett to Aunt Martha, McGarrett to Aunt Martha, McGarrett to Aunt Martha, and then like one of those times, all of a sudden, when it's on Aunt Martha, you see sort of like a shadow fall across her, and someone approaches her. And I thought, who is this? Now, I imagine you immediately said, oh, it's McGarrett. But for a second, I didn't know who it was. And I thought, what is this? But it's actually, it's very nicely cut. The way they go from him trying to call her to him suddenly arriving at her side, finding the number, realizing she's, well, he, he knows she's dead. But yeah. I thought that was a very nice, uh, nicely put together moment. I did too. I like that transition of how he finds the body. That's, that's really nice. Because Charlie goes to all the trouble of, of trying to stage the crime scene to make it look like it happened later. Yes. After his the, stabbing. He does the winding ahead the clock thing and breaking a stopwatch and then breaking the stopwatch so they can go, ah. It's ah. very, like I said, it's very proto-Columbo kind of. Yeah. So after Charlie stages this scene, he goes back to his apartment, puts on his jammies, mm-hmm. and proceeds to, to stab himself. And it's I love the way that scene is done. Because you see him looking in the the anatomy book, yes, and marking himself so he knows where to stab. The knife is hidden in a lamp. Yes, it like looks like the decorative top to a lamp, and he pulls it out, and it's this lovely knife. Mm-hmm. And you see him, and he puts everything away, and he stabs himself. And it's like so you realize that you the level of of killer you're dealing with is that you know he's willing to without any anesthetic, stab himself in the gut, mm-hmm. knowing he's risking bleeding out. Because he yeah. basically, when he was looking it up, he was to to make the most, to give him the best chance to live. Yes. Because he could still bleed to death. And he, so he stabs himself and he has the, the sense to put the knife back in the lamp, to turn off the light, to go to the phone, mm-hmm. make his phone call to the operator to get help. And it's just you're you're looking right at that moment. You are looking at a cold-blooded killer, yes. just someone who is ice cold. And I he's, love that. Yeah, he's thought it through, and he is he he was as nutty as he kind of seemed to be when we first met him. And uh, yeah, he's uh, it's 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 a fun scene because because he could have very easily just um I, I do like that he puts a little marker. Uh, just for the spot where he's going to stab himself. And I, I like that no one actually says, hey, you know what? We were stitching him back up, and right where he got stabbed, there's a marker. There's a there's a little line <laughs> on there. So maybe it washed well, up I, with the blood. I, imagine this, I would think the stab wound probably obliterated it and then probably. washing off the blood. Because I, yeah. just looking at the blood they used, that's stained. Yeah. He probably had pink all over him. That's true. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. The only thing confusing McGarrett is he seems to. Uh, there seems to the killer seems to have marked him with a sharpie, right before he stabbed him. We don't see that a lot. <laughs> there must have been something on that knife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the, the hide, hiding the hiding the knife in the lamp is a great moment. I, I really like that because he he stabs himself and then very calmly as he begins to bleed, drops the knife back in the top of the lamp and it wobbles a little bit, but it's convincing. So I like that. Yeah. Because no one's going to think to look at the lamp as a as a hiding spot for a knife. No one's going to look at that. Yes, exactly, yeah. And, and all and the reason why Steve gets there so fast, too, is because the, basically his team is trying to protect 70 people. Everyone, from yeah. this home In this home office. So they have, like, cars out everywhere uh, patrolling, you know, to double check. And that's why Steve gets there before the ambulance does is because, mm-hmm. obviously – in the vicinity waiting for the killer to strike. And then he yeah. did. And he talks to Charlie and Charlie says 
he didn't see anybody, but he heard a familiar voice. Because mm-hmm. we'll find out later why he says that. Yes. Yeah, and and as it, it's it's fine. I have the episode playing right here, and it is interesting that one of the one of the points that Charlie mentions is like Aunt Martha, you never gave me enough money for whatever, and you do see. Charlie has a nice apartment. In fact, when they're looking at the pictures of the crime scene, Dan, the first thing Dano says is, oh, that's a nice apartment. And he doesn't mention the blood or anything like that. Oh, a nice apartment. And, but but then when you see um, Arnold's place, Arnold has like a house like on the ocean. And so it's like, okay, I can kind of see there how, you know, not not that I would begin killing everyone. But, you, you know, you could see, see like, if Charlie's put up with this all his life, and they're, like, both in the vicinity of the same age, and he's got this nice apartment, but his cousin has this huge, gorgeous, like, open house looking out onto just beautiful. I can see how one might get a little cheesed off in Aunt Martha for that. Yeah. Well, they kept saying he has a nice apartment. I'm like, yes, but his throw pillows on the couch don't match anything in that room. Because they were black and white animal print, and nothing in that room yes. was black or white or animal print. Yeah, yeah. and that disturbed me the most. That no one that, mentioned this. It's like, do you think that's a nice a, apartment? The throw pillows don't match. <laughs> do you think that's a sign of psychosis or, or something? Like, can you? I think like, it could be. <laughs> if your throw pillows don't match your couch, there's a this, likely chance you're going to murder your aunt for money. Yes, yeah, and and do it very elaborately too. I mean, it's sort of like the the yes. the the thing I thought of was um um <coughs> pardon me um uh John Lithgow in Blowout, the the elaborate and ridiculous plan he comes up with when he they have to yes. kill Nancy Allen's character. And he's like, his superiors keep telling him, don't do that. And he's like, I, I'm taking care of it. And it's, I, I won't say exactly what it is, but it's very similar to what Charlie's doing in this. Uh, yes. But, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, let's see. Oh, oh, there is that, the, uh, the, uh, the, the tape recording that they play. <clears throat> I've always wanted to talk like this to both of you. But I never could. I don't know why. It might be the heritage of my missionary forebearers. They left too many of the rocks of their New England coast in my soul. I love you both. It's funny how easy that word is to say when you're alone. And I never could say it to anyone. I guess that's why I've got nephews for sons instead of my own. And you are my sons. Arnold, you're the sensible one, the level-headed one. To you... I am leaving the controlling stock and the management of the company. Charlie. (laughs) Charlie, you always did devil me. And I guess I deviled you. But I love you. love you too much to let you squander your birthright. 
So I leave you an income from a trust. It's enough to live very well, but not too wildly. Take care of him, Arnold. And have this memory of me. I loved you both. But maybe you a little more, Charlie. And it's it's interesting because at that point it, it because Charlie was thinking that he would get half of everything and he ain't. He ain't got half of anything, and which leads to sort of the final act involving Arnold and his mustache yeah. a little bit more. Uh, but but there's sort of the moment where you, you kind of you're looking at the two cousins as and Martha's saying she loves them, which they probably I don't think they've ever heard really from her. And and um, and she kind of admits that she loves Charlie a little bit more, although she kind of kept him on a leash. And you're sort of looking at Charlie like and you can see he he's he's got a mix of, um, oh, my gosh. You know, I I misread my aunt mixed in with, oh, now I have to kill Arnold. And uh, <laughs> so, so it's it's kind of a, and I have to do like another Columbo style thing. And it's it, it reminded me of, uh, uh, forgive me, um, the uh, murder by the book episode of um, uh, Columbo uh, with. Um, oh, geez. Um, oh, was that Jack Cassidy? Yes. Yes. That one. The, the very first regular and, episode, the one directed by Spielberg and Martin Milner. Yes, Marty Milner uh, gets killed, and, and there's a thing where um, yeah. one one of the things where at the end where Columbo sort of um, catches um, Mr. Cassidy is there there are like two two murders in it, and he says the first murder was so well planned and so well done, and the second murder was garbage, and that's sort of what happens kind of in here, <laughs> whereas his his uh, Charlie's original plan was quite good, but the moment he has to improvise on it, stuff kind of falls apart on him. Yeah. What I liked about that, too, is that, okay, so first when we have we're listening to Aunt Martha say, well, I'm giving control of the company to Arnold. And then, you know, Charlie, you get to live off of a trust The her her. This is why I love Jeanette Nolan. So we have her being a very stern, you know, in charge woman when we know her alive. But on that tape, her voice is just so much softer and there's so much more motion in it. Mm-hmm. And I just. I love that they, you know, did that, that they, you know, put the sincerity into it. Because I think that's what happens is that Charlie is so convinced that his aunt hates him. Yes. That when she says, I love you, Charlie, I've loved you, I love you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You, The look on his face, because obviously what it would probably look like to Arnold and McGarrett is that he's upset that his aunt has died. And she said this nice thing, you know, about him. But it, what it really is is that, that you're watching his cheese slip off the cracker because he is so convinced <laughs> that his aunt hated, hated, hated yes. him yeah. that he's, he's conflicted. She really loved him, and I killed her yeah. because of what she did to me, and I really wanted her money. And so now instead of this cold-blooded killer, we are looking at this conflicted person who is now – dealing with the psychosis of guilt because when he decides okay it's time to go after arnold he stops we have a beautiful view on this road but he's driving down to get to arnold's house and he stops at one point and it's like this gorgeous ocean view and i'm like why don't i live there but he stops and he's replaying it over and over in his head of i love you arnold it doesn't 
he doesn't always get to the Charlie part. And it's just, you can see that he's starting to lose it. Yeah. Because when he gets to poor Arnold's house at six in the morning, I think his idea was always to frame Arnold mm. because he used it's, his okay. typewriter mm-hmm. and he made a point of yeah. bringing it back. He at first told McGarrett that he thought the voice sounded familiar, but then he recants because he's not sure. Cause he does tell him his side of the story of, mm-hmm. you know, I went, answered the door. There was a light in my face. Someone said my name and they stabbed me. I shoved them out, locked the door and, and called for help. So I think it was always meant that he was going to frame Arnold mm-hmm. to get back on his cousin who got everything. He was going to get a, he was going to get a death sentence too, I guess is what he wanted. Yeah. But at that point he decided he couldn't risk it when mm-hmm. he, I mean like he decided he had to kill him because aunt Martha loved him and yes. you know, he gave him everything. And I think that's what it kind of, that was the tipping point. So he gets to Arnold's house and they have a nice moment and it's so well done, because Arnold's in the co- the kitchen making coffee, yeah. and he's in the living room fixing up some chloroform, yes. and they're talking about how Aunt Martha never said, I love you. She never even loved anything, because as Arnold says, she goes, she'd like something, but she never yeah. loved it. She yeah. never said that, and it was nice hearing her say that word, and they're kind of having a cousin bonding moment, mm-hmm. but it's two different things happening, or yes. Arnold's in his, you know... Everything is normal. This was a tragedy. Have some coffee, and and Charlie is plotting to kill him. Right yeah, there, and, it's and, just and, so well done. Yeah, and, and Charlie's saying something. Charlie says something along the lines of like, "Well, you know, I guess you are what you are, and, and nothing can change it." As he's putting on the gloves and putting on the chloroform, and you can see like he's standing in the middle of this big living room. Right out, there's a huge like you know sliding doors leading out to a huge pool, and then beyond the pool, you can see the ocean. So you're like, as nice as his apartment was, this is kind of nicer than that. Yeah. So, so, so he's not facing that. I, kind I of... could be very happy in that house with all that wood paneling. Yes, yes. And he's got a great, like, collection of pans above his stove, like a series of, like, copper pans or something going from very big to very tiny. I thought, wow, Farley. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's, well, you know, we got pots and pans. We don't do that with them. They go in a, you know, a cabinet. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I could one one of the one of the thoughts yeah that I I did have is um uh and and actually I think you just cleared up most of it by what you were saying was um uh part of it in my mind was I I could see that he was kind of framing Arnold for it and uh and like you said um the the moment this happens with the tape recording and everything he has to speed it up so they sort of discover Arnold earlier because it doesn't really look like the guys are, um, um, like, with the typewriters and everything, it doesn't look like they're actually getting anywhere near Arnold as being the um, the possible killer. So he has to kind of, like, push yeah. just a little to, to guide them there. Yeah, yeah because, you know, in the, in the background of all of this, we have the guys are actually, you know, they're looking for the photographer to identify the, the group that was in, so, and then they're checking into the typewriting and the typeface and all mm-hmm. of this to try to find this. I mean, they're, they're, it's not like they're sitting on their thumbs. They're actually doing investigating, yeah. like, set against this drama playing out. And, and there's no way we, I mean, the, the thing with the typewriter is that, that's, that's purely 100%. That's known between the family there. We don't know, you know, the guys don't know that. They're just looking at the typewriters, which don't match. 
that are in the place. I, I don't know. There, there, there isn't really a point where they say, hey, do you guys have any typewriters or anything like that? And which, yeah, maybe they would have got to eventually. But, um, yeah. Yeah, well, they, they come up with the fact that it it's for an older model and they figure out it's a portable. And Steve's mm-hmm. like, so Dan's Dan was like, you know, we can look you know, start checking, you know, any shop could have sold it. And Mm -hmm. Steve's like, it's a portable. I mean, it could have been brought over by the mainland. Yes. Yeah. So it's like they have this, they know what it is, but the idea of finding it is worse than a needle in a haystack. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Oh, um, can I just say, I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure when they discover the, the, um, Oh, Oh, uh, Oh no, no. I, I, I think I do get what they're doing when they, uh, when Arnold is being suffocated, well, um, asphyxiated in his in the garage, there's a great bit involving like high frequencies on the CB or something like that, where um, uh, McGarrett's like, uh, give me a give me a, a high frequency signal to whoever's on the other end. And you just a beep, and the garage doors, and they're trying to get the right signal to open the garage door. And I thought that is high tech, my friends. I like that very much. <laughs> That is that is definitely one of those things where it's like the layman, the people that are watching the show, isn't going to know enough about this to know if this could actually work or not. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna do this. It's like you when you know you see people typing on computers. We know most people that you know don't know exactly what you can do with a computer, so they are able to do things that you can't. But it yeah. works. Yeah, exactly. Like especially like in the '80s, whenever they used a computer, and they were like, "Okay, well, let me." I think there's there's one like um an Andy Sedaris film that starts off with like a bunch of the gals around a computer and they're like, well, we need to pinpoint exactly where this missile um, wound up. It was flying over the Pacific Ocean. Well, give me a minute. Okay. And where was it going to? Okay. Let me just hit enter. It's right there. And you're like, whoa, how'd you do that? Computers can't, I don't think computers can do that now. That's crazy. So... Yeah, it's it's kind of that Basically, thing. Basically, yeah, the whole plot of Auto Man is based on the fact that people don't know how computers work <laughs> yes. in 1983. I think that's when that show came out. That's the I, whole plot of Auto Man. I, th- I think I always point to the um, the uh, French uh, made in Florida film in 1985 called um, A Nightmare Weekend, uh, where there is a computer in that that is controlled by like a hand puppet named George. And it does stuff like, um, you know, it, I, I don't even, if you haven't seen them, I'm not even going to go into the crazy things computers do in that movie. But it's like computers can do everything and it doesn't make any sense and I absolutely love it. But, but yeah, the frequency thing is like that. It's very much like, a, well, try it higher. Okay, all right. It's at its highest frequency when you can't hear it. I was hoping to hear dogs barking or something at that point, but the door goes up. <laughs> and kind of like Dano's standing well, by the door Hawaii. just looking. Look, uh, Dano's standing it's by the Hawaii, door. It's Hawaii, so they probably would have heard chickens. Oh sure, because <laughs> there are there are loud chickens in mm-hmm. several of these episodes, so I would have and, rather heard like a rooster crowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they do another uh, thing in here that I like that's very Columbo esque, where um, uh, uh, they they have like all these pictures of uh, Charlie's apartment, and they kind of like throw them down on a desk. And that's when Daniel says, hey, nice apartment. And McGarrett says, like, the answer is in these pictures. Look, we got to find it. And so they sit there, and it's very much like um, like a Columbo episode, like the one with Robert Culp, where he – um, Robert Culp plays, like, the sporting manager guy, and he kills – oh, what's oh, yeah. the actor's uh, – from, um, you know, the guy from Quantum Leap, whose name I'm forgetting. Um, Shoot. Uh, 
not I Scott Bakula, the other guy. Yeah. Um, uh, why, are we for, why are we forgetting his name? But and, and like, like that, that has one of those endings. Or, or the one with um, Gina Rollins in the, um, I think it's called Playback, where her husband, who's a security expert, kills like mother-in-law. And they just have one of those scenes where it's like, like Columbo like points at a video recording and says, just watch this. And you're sitting there along with the killer watching it going, what am I looking at? What am I looking at? What am I? And then you see it and you're like, oh, right there in plain sight. And that's kind of what happens here is they're looking at the pictures, looking at the pictures and sort of the deciding factor that maybe Charlie was lying is right there in plain sight in the photos, which I really yeah. like. Yeah, and, which and they, do, and they don't see it right then. And it's, yes. I like that because it's, how many times has that happened to you that you're looking at something, you're like, I know it's here, what is it? You know something's off, but you can't put your finger on it. And that's basically mm -hmm. what Steve was doing. Yeah. I also like Kono, Dano asked, said, Kono, maybe Kono could do better. And Kono's like, no, I tried. <laughs> yes. Good. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> Not enough Kono in this episode, or, or either of the ones. No, there was not a lot of Chin Ho or Kono yes, in yeah. either. Well, there was more Chin Ho in the other one, in, in the mm. box, than there was. Yeah, yeah. He's but, yeah, there had not enough Kono and Chin Ho. I love yeah. those two so much. That's great, yeah. I was going to say, I think a sign that you may have found your killer is when you realize maybe Charlie did it, and his aunt was killed, like, a day ago, a day or two ago. He was stabbed, and his cousin... Um, has apparently been killed, but possibly not. And you go to his workplace, and he's just doing a couple couple rounds of putting out in the lawn, uh, yeah. just a little golf, yeah, just, you know, just casually, you know. And um, that, you know that might be sort of that might be our guy. Okay, let's let's go ahead and spoil the oh, ending sure. since we're getting close to it. Okay, so spoiler alert: from here on out, we're talking we're talking the ending here. So if you don't want to be spoiled, don't listen. The so. What I, okay, so they he sets it up to make it look like Arnold committed suicide in his garage. Because of the will, Steve and Dano think that maybe Arnold's the killer, which is what Charlie wanted. They go to his house. They end up breaking into his garage via the high frequencies um, <laughs> and save him. Yeah, save him. And they find the, the you know, he's going to live. And they find the typewriter and Daniel's like, it all kind of ties together. And Steve goes, but it doesn't because why would someone who in cold blood for just to, in order to, to throw the scent off in order to gain money from his aunt's will killed two women, then killed his aunt, stabbed his cousin, killed his aunt. Why would he commit suicide? This person does not have a conscience that's, you know, he, he wouldn't commit suicide out of guilt. And so that's what kind of turns them on to possibly being Charlie and they go talk to Charlie as he's putting. And it's just, and what's great is because um, they basically prop it up as saying, Oh, you know, we, you know, someone tried to kill your cousin and he's just like, Oh wow. That's so unfortunate that this, <laughs> you know, and he asks, he asks, he's like, what kind of a man would kill four people? And they're like only three Charlie, because uh, your cousin made it. Your cousin's alive. And mm -hmm. he's just like, and brain engaged panic because wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, you can it's, see it's, the panic on his face. And he's no longer the smooth talking person that we've heard up to the point that he heard Aunt Martha's will. He's um, generating quickly. making <laughs> more slips. Yeah. yeah. 
And so he goes to the hospital, obviously, because he needs to finish off Arnold. And we, he gets in the hospital room. I do like the nice touch of him demanding, why aren't there any police guards? He should be guarded because mm-hmm. someone tried to kill him. And the nurse is like, he's fine. Just settle down. Yes, yes. And he goes into, he goes into the room and, and I absolutely love this. You see the figure in the bed, the, the blanket is pulled up over his, up to his nose. He's wearing a, like, it looks like his head is bandaged. He's in an oxygen tent and Charlie's in there and he starts talking to him, basically confessing everything. And he's like, yes. you know, I hate, I hate having to kill you again, but I'm going to have to because mm-hmm. reasons. And he's playing with the oxygen tent mm-hmm. switch oh, yeah, the whole time he's switch, talking. Yeah. And he turns it off, and that's when the cheese is completely flipped off the cracker, and the guy in the bed becomes Aunt Martha. Yes. And he starts hallucinating that it's Aunt Martha. And the what really sells it for me is that it's Aunt Martha laying there with this weird smile on her face, and yeah. he's yelling at her to go away, and she turns and looks at him, and he just, like, loses his mind. Yeah. He's freaking out. And she's she's behind the, the plastic of the so oxygen good. tent. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. It just, it, it just occurred to me that, and I don't know if I can articulate this in my mind because I just had the thought that that part of the the thing with the the plot is that in it, Charlie was trying to make them think that Arnold tried to kill him but failed, and now he tried to kill Arnold but failed, and there's. There's something about uh, there's something about that that means something. I don't know. I just had that thought that part of this is like he he part of his plan was oh he tried to kill me but I really set it up so it failed. Whereas I tried to kill him and I failed. So I'm not um, quite making it as much as I would like to as this crazy killer. And in the end, like I have it playing right here and he's swinging around the knife and and Farley's back in with his mustache and McGarrett is there um, and there. <laughs> And and we get the final moment where you knew this would happen. McGarrett becomes Aunt Martha. I think there's some kind of he connection does. there that I'm not fully understanding. That boss level responds yeah. to the boss. Well, it, it should be noted that the guy in the bed was not actually Farley and his mustache. It was yeah. it was Dano undercover yeah. because when he tries, because he's he tells Aunt Martha he's like, "You go away or I'll kill you again." And yeah. so he pulls out the knife and goes to stab the. Dano in the bed and Dano rolls out and pulls his gun at the same time and Charlie's lost his his marbles he's stabbing the bed repeatedly when Steve comes in and then he starts you know swinging that knife around and Charlie's like or McGarrett's like give me the knife and you see what he sees is Aunt Martha reaching out for the knife with that weird Mm -hmm. smile on her face and Charlie gives it to her or you know which is giving it to McGarrett and the look on the faces of of Arnold and, and Dano are just kind of like, holy crap. Crap, yeah. <laughs> this guy is yeah. cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs all the way. Yeah. And I like Yeah, too and then it, even the look on Steve's face is like, holy shit, you know. I don't know what just this. happened right there, but um, I'm going yeah. to I'm have to watch the episode, he's thinking. <laughs> I, I, I like that. It, and it, it's very nice because the moment he takes the knife from Charlie, he begins to lead Charlie out of the room, and the episode ends. There isn't like a wrap up mm-hmm. scene. There isn't like a psycho style scene where they sit down with a psychiatrist who says, well, the thing that Charlie was going through was this. No, it just, it ends. It's over. It's done. Get out of there. And I like that. Yeah. There's a lot of episodes that do that where, 
we hit that resolution and, and okay, we have the bad guy in whatever form he is and we're done. And that's kind of, you get the implication that Charlie will be taken care of, Mm -hmm. but you know, damage is already done. Yeah. He's going, he's going to the cuckoo house and even, I mean, even like Farley Granger, not only his eyes, but his mustache are just like looking at him. Like, you know, I knew he was kind of, you know, and Martha called him wild. This is, this is a couple steps beyond uh, wild. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do like when he's swinging the knife when everyone storms in, and he like he like swings it towards the bed, and then when he swings it towards the wall, he keeps like jabbing the wall, which is kind of a yeah. nice touch. He's going back, and it's like stab in the wall, in the wall. It's a nice touch. I went on about the greatness of this guest castle. Let's take a closer look at them, shall we? Aunt Martha was played by Jeanette Nolan. Oh my love. She has 201 credits going back to 1948. She was Dirty Sally Fergus on Gunsmoke and the Gunsmoke spinoff Dirty Sally. She was also Holly Granger on The Virginian. And her husband, John McIntyre, played her husband on the show, Clay Granger. She was also Annette Devereaux on Hotel de Paris. She played some important TV moms as well. She was Captain Parmenter's mom on F Troop, Dan Fielding's mom on Night Court, and Rose Nyland's mom on The Golden Girls, even though she was only 11 years older than Betty White. She also turned up on Dragnet, Emergency, Bourbon Street Beat, Hawaiian Eye, Twilight Zone. She did three episodes of Wagon Train with her husband, John McIntyre, who replaced Ford Bond after he died, I believe. Perry Mason, Bonanza, My Three Sons, Night Gallery, Columbo, Quincy, Charlie's Angels, Trapper John, MacGyver, and Cagney and Lacey. She was also in the movies The Horse Whisperer, Avalanche with Rock Hudson, Mia Farrow, and Robert Forster, The Rescuers, The Fox and the Hound, The Reluctant Astronaut with Don Knotts, My Blood Runs Cold with Troy Donahue, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and she's listed as one of the uncredited voices of Norma Bates in Psycho, one of the others being my other perennial favorite, Virginia Gregg. She was also in the TV movies The Hustler of Muscle Beach, Goliath Awaits, again with playing the wife of her husband, John McIntyre, and again with Robert Forster. The Wild Women of Chastity Gulch, Lassie the New Beginning, The Desperate Miles, and Hijack with David Jansen and Keenan Wynn. Arnold was played by Farley Granger. He's probably best known as Guy Haynes in Strangers on a Train and Philip in Hitchcock's Rope. He was also Trent Archer on The Edge of Night and Earl Mitchell on As the World Turns. He also showed up in Wagon Train, Ironside Get Smart, Six Million Dollar Man, Ellery Queen, Tales from the Dark Side, and Murder, She Wrote. He appeared in the movies Very Close Quarters with Shelley Winters and Paul Sorvino, The Prowler, Arnold with Stella Stevens, Roddy McDowell, and Elsa Lancaster, The Man Called Noon with Richard Crenna, and They Live by Night. He was also in the TV movies The Lives of Jenny Dolan, Laura, The Heiress, and The Challengers. Charlie was played by Paul Collins. He was Secretary of the Navy Alexander Nelson on JAG. He also showed up in Surfside 6, Mod Squad, Matlock, Hunter, Murphy Brown, L.A. Law, Golden Girls, Melrose Place, Beverly Hills 90210, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, ER, Dragnet 2003, Sons of Anarchy, and Elementary. He showed up in the movies Evan Almighty, Triple X, State of the Union, The Breed, Instinct, Dead Man on Campus, Executive Decision, Dave, and he was the voice of John Darling in the 1953 Peter Pan. He was also in the TV movies when Billy Beat Bobby, A Season for Miracles, Dad the Angel and Me, Black Widow Murders, The Blanche Taylor Moore Story, Bloodlines, Murder in the Family, The Operation, and This Town Will Never Be the Same. 
Lieutenant Pellick was played by Bob Basso. This is the second of eight episodes for him. He was also in And They Painted Daisies on His Coffin. Our first victim, Amy Cross, was played by Minda Guild. This is her only credit. Our second victim, Ruth Warden, was played by Corinne Opsall, and this is her only credit. The nurse was played by Aletha Aguilar. We'll see her in four more episodes. She also appeared in the Hawaiian episodes of The Brady Bunch and McLeod. Dr. Fuller was played by John Stalker. We'll see him in 14 more episodes. His only other credit is an episode of Magnum P.I. And the intern was played by Michael Leong. We'll see him in three more episodes, and these are his only credits. Our director, Paul Stanley, did mostly TV, including four episodes of Combat, four episodes of The Virginian, seven of Mission Impossible, 15 of Medical Center, five of Charlie's Angels, 20 of Insight, and four of The Fall Guy. He also directed the TV movies Ultimate Imposter, Sergeant TKU, Crisis in Sun Valley, and Soul Survivor. He also directed the movies Cotter and the 1978 Moby Dick. Palmer Thompson, who has the teleplay credit, he did mostly TV. He wrote 15 episodes of Mama, seven of The Rifleman, five of The Detectives, two of Maverick, six episodes of The Law and Mr. Jones, and an episode of Stony Burke with Jack Lord. He also wrote a couple of movies, including Make Like a Thief, and he has the story by credit for Five Minutes to Live. Our story by credit is Robert Stambler. He only has a few writing credits, including episodes of Please Don't Eat the Daisies, Mr. Novak, Tabitha, and Super Train. He also wrote the movie Strange Lovers. But he has producer credits for 35 episodes of Hawaii Five-0, 32 of Mr. Novak, 57 of Please Don't Eat the Daisies, and four episodes of Super Train. He also produced the TV movies Desperate Women, Crisis in Sun Valley, The Deadly Triangle, and The Imposter. It's a it's a heck of an episode. Like 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 I um uh, like I said I I I do like the second half, but I kind of prefer it when it's a bit mysterious. Although like I said, the moment you see Charlie, you think okay something's off with this guy. Um, but but I I, th- I think it's I think it's quite a quite a quite a very very good episode it is and it's it could very easily have gone to towards the towards farce i mean it could have just completely fallen apart with the Mm -hmm. twists especially when charlie loses it but you have to give credit to the to all of the actors the the guest Mm -hmm. cast just did phenomenal with the material they were given because charlie could have been like completely unsympathetic and yet you did kind of feel bad for him at the end because he'd obviously been tormented enough that his sanity snapped. Yes. And it was, and a lot of that, that torment was basically how he was interpreting uh, his aunt's behavior toward him. Whereas, you know, his cousin basically received the same type of treatment in a lot of ways, but he was rewarded for being the sensible one. Whereas she was showing Charlie tough love and he did not interpret it that way. Yes. So yeah. it could have it, it could have very easily have fallen apart, and if it was given to if it was a different actor that maybe didn't have the didn't give the emotional weight to the character that mm-hmm. it required. But I, you know, everybody did such a good job with yeah. it. I mean, that really it shines. And it's nice too that um, uh, Charlie and Arnold kind of look alike. There, there's kind of a yeah. there, there is kind of a resemblance there. I, th- I think Farley made with the mustache it hides it a little bit. But during the scene where they're listening to Aunt Martha's uh, tape, um, they they really do kind of look like they could have been cousins, which which is nice. And 
yeah, it's 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 a good episode. That yeah, that like you said has some has some nice twists. And um, the gentleman who plays um, um, Charlie Collins is it Paul Collins? Is is that is that the name? I, I forget the name of the actor. Oh, um, let me look. Yeah, it's Paul Collins. Oh, I think he's yeah, I think he's very good because he like yeah. like I said the the first time you see him and he makes the kind of inappropriate joke. Um, and but there's there's a like I said there's a look on his face of hey that's pretty good whereas everyone else is like no that you know you right at that moment it's like okay yeah this is something's going on with this guy maybe he should have grown a mustache I don't know I don't know maybe the throat or gotten those really thick glasses yes yeah because hmm. oh, Arnold rocks some he he doesn't just have the mustache he also has these really thick black frame glasses yeah. which are back in style now. <laughs> yeah, he was going for the whole square look. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, again, like we said, it's I think it's a very good episode, and it really contrasts nicely with what the bo- the box was. The box tense hostage drama. This is kind of a weird thriller that becomes even weirder as it goes along. So it's a nice nice range of episodes. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get back to a more intense kind of a drama in the the next episode. So where it's it's focused more on police family. So it's okay. it, we get a, a I like this series because it's not just the typical formula of hey we're gonna solve this crime. We get all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff happening. Yeah, I've been enjoying what I've seen. I've been enjoying quite a bit, and I do like the it's. I I mean I think it's it's still early on in the um the the way uh they did shows like that, so it doesn't it can it can diddle around with a formula in a way that maybe yeah. a show later on couldn't have done the same way. So I guess we'll wrap this up. I've enjoyed having you, Dan. Yeah. I'm so glad you decided to do this with me. Thank you so much for being here with me. Yeah, it's great. It's going to be a bit of a longer episode, I think folks. So don't uh, bear that in mind. We. Yeah. It's, and it's okay. Just hang in there. It's, it's worth it. Yeah. We're, we're, we're delight. So yeah. we are delightful. It, certainly. And not in a crazy yeah, way like Charlie. Yeah. No, or or a dandy way like Big Chicken. Yeah, that's um. Ooh, could you imagine those two coming up against each other in an episode? Charlie and Big Chicken team up to catch McGarrett. Oh, that would wow. be interesting and moist, so moist. <laughs> be the most moist episode ever. That's a season finale <laughs> with a cliffhanger. I don't know. It, it is. It truly is. So, well, thanks for being here, Dan. Um, where yeah, can we find you, you online? Uh, you can go to, uh, for, for, for my podcast, you can go to eventually supertrain.blogspot.com. That'll lead you to, um, like SoundCloud and iTunes and, and, uh, um, uh, uh, geez, why am I blanking on what the other thing is? Whatever the heck we're on Stitcher. Sorry. Yes. Um, uh, it's, uh, and yeah, that's like, like, like you mentioned at the beginning, Chris, and it's, um, eventually super train, the short lived TV show podcast, some minute by minute things. Um, I'm co-host made for TV mayhem. And um, the Happy Days Rockin' All Week with You podcast. I also have yeah, my writing online, uh, Some Polish American Guy Reviews Things at blogspot.com. I have the 80s action movies book, The Long Out of Print Bleeding Skull, 1980s Trash Horror Odyssey. And yeah, you look around, you'll find me. I'm here, I'm there. I- I'm delightful. Thank you, good night. Somewhere in these photographs must be the answer. Maybe Kono can do better. Not me. I've tried. With a psycho loose, nothing makes sense. And that is episode 10 of Bookum Dano. Two very different episodes that truly capture the range of the series. 
Extra special thanks to Dan for joining me and for saving my keister because my recording of our conversation somehow got hopelessly borked, so he allowed me to use his. I hope to get that issue figured out for the next time. Next time? Yes. But in the meantime, please check out Dan online and check me out online as well at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. It is the home of Bookham Dano. We're also available for your entertainment needs on Twitter. You can follow Dan at esupertrain1 and yours truly at Kiki Writes. Thanks for joining Dan and me for this extra long, extra special episode. We appreciate you sticking it out and we hope you had as good of a time listening as we had chatting. If not, keep your complaints to yourselves. We're fragile. So remember, keep your flip-flops handy for those long prison shower sieges and tell folks you love them so they won't murder you for your money. Until next time, aloha.